Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't like blood and guts, but I love them when they're lengthily We're deep in the heart of Yuppie Nightmares Season 2, and you know it's with Gorley and Rust when there's construction noise in the background. <laughs> I'm Matt Gorley. Uh, uh, and I'm Paul Rust. Who knows where that construction uh, could be happening, though? Maybe uh, some sinister... A uh, pretty boy came over and took over your place and now is saying, like, let's redo it with more glass cubes. They are, we've torn down our entire wood fence and we're just putting up a giant fence of glass cubes, which keeps people out but defeats the purpose of privacy, but just solidifies my status on the block as the biggest yuppie. Yeah, because there's kind of been some battles on the neighborhood, right? Oh, sure. Like, who is the biggest yuppie? Let me tell you who lives on my block. Rob Lowe, Patrick Bergen, Julia Roberts. Spader. Uh, Spader. Uh, Matt, what's his name from Hand That Rocks the Cradle? <laughs> no. Rebecca the, De Mornay. And that, it wasn't, uh, it was pointed out on the live stream last time we talked that uh, that guy, you know, was, we should have mentioned when we were talking about Bedroom Window and Gutenberg, that the beard guy, I always forget his name, Matt. Yeah, I forget too. The husband yeah. and him, the Rockstar Cradle, played fake Gutenberg in the police academy when he <gasps> left. That's right. Yes, that's <laughs> no right. beard. I know with the lack of beard, it's difficult. <sighs> Man. Know exactly. But. We are all connected. Uh, yeah, well... I got a real big, whoa, this is all connected kind of thing. Uh, and hey, we'll even jump into the goddamn name of this podcast soon and description, but I got to tell you this. Yes, please. So this movie came out in 1989. That's this, around the same time that Rob Lowe gets, and this is in the notes and everything, uh, yeah. in Ratley Palmer's notes, but he gets, uh, Rob Lowe gets into trouble with, uh, 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 has a scandal, yeah, where he has a camcorder videotape sex tape with two people. So in the fact that this movie, he's recording sex, he's never in the sex tape, but then 
he's on a tape eventually, like when he murders the person, and he eventually has a threesome at the end. And that all happened after... Yeah. After the scandal. So it's crazy. The first time I watched this, I was like, so they made this after the scandal. Oh, interesting. This wasn't <laughs> like, uh, oops, we shot the movie, scandal happened, and now we got to release the movie. Not only that, but I think Curtis Hanson, according to Brantley's mm-hmm. truly wonderful notes, especially mm-hmm. this episode, mm-hmm. gave him an out and said, should we look for a different ending? Do you not want to do this movie anymore? And he still was like, mm, no. Well, thank God, because in a lot of these, you know, sexy, steamy thrillers, they forget about the sexy steaminess by the end of the movie. Not so with Bad Influence. Mm -hmm. Within the last 10 minutes, they break out the threesome. It's like, whoa, this is the equivalent of, you know, a big explosion in an action movie. Well, I think they know what they got there with the sign of the times and all that saying, let's save it till the end. Yeah. Well, so there's... Water cooler talk. Exactly. So there's all of that, right? Mm -hmm. But guess who's his co-star in this movie? James Spader, who in the same year is in a movie called Sex Lies and Videotape. Mm. So whatever was going on in that stew of little pervies and tapes. Was this what yuppies were up to in the late 80s? They loved making sex tapes. VHS sex tapes. As far as I can tell from online porn Ew! Don't talk about that stuff. I'm a Christian. Uh, But uh, the amateur porn, homemade porn tapes from the 80s ain't ever yuppies. (laughs) They ain't yuppies. (laughs) You don't see many glass cubes in the background with like neon lighting done by uh, Robert (laughs) Elswit. No stair masters and thigh masters in the background. No, a lot of wood paneling and carpeting and mattresses. A lot of carpeting. Yes, a lot of mattresses. If you're doing it right. Oh, boy. Um, But so, yeah, that was a little like a weird thing that happened that all came together. But what was I saying? Because you had just mentioned, oh, it's all connected. Uh, Oh, we were saying. The Gutenberg mat. Yes. Definitely, we're all connected. Is it a Matt Mick something like Matt? Someone's hmm. probably written it in the comments at this point on on the live screen, which you can do yourself. You can live stream these. That means streaming by being a baby xenomorph subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. You can also get a shout out. If you're a baby Zeno, mm-hmm. which we'll do later this episode, you yeah. get film commentaries. We just finished up the dual version, both theatrical and producers cut version of Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers. Frankly, it's taken over the nation. It has. People really seem to have liked it. I yeah. think everybody has. And, and some people at home, they set up their own, you know, to watch it. Uh, of course, someone they would. did it with VHS. Did you see that? Yes, that was cool. God bless that person. And then I saw people who use like uh, a very sophisticated manner of having mm-hmm. like uh, the dual latticed. The, uh, I don't know, tech They talk. did like a, a minority report version where it's just projected in the air and he had special Halloween six gloves. And a red ball would come down and you'd look at it and say, play. <laughs> it was just, it pause. had the rune on it. Oh my God. A minority report crossover with Halloween six where the red balls have runes on it. And then we do a tri-mersion commentary. <laughs> <laughs> what minority report? Both Halloween versions 6. of Halloween 6 and Minority Report. 
but I and we we did look into it. And it was unprecedented. This has never been. It was never done before. Is we, that right? I let's that say up. it's yeah. true uh, because we're gonna get into more of these. Unless there's already... bigger losers who do that. <laughs> I uh, bet there are. Now, Matt, uh, we don't have to do it for next month. We could, but we don't have to. We were talking about doing the dual psycho. Oh, Should we not do just that? talking about it. Yeah, I yeah. say let's do it. So that would you, be November. Yeah, okay. someone else for another one. Um, had a good idea and that was the two versions of exorcist two three four Ex- what's the rennie harlan paul schrader one? Oh, that is a that, yeah that's the gotta part be four. four yeah dominion but and i've the, never seen either of those so i kind of want to oh yeah. fuck it who cares i'll just watch them. i know it's funny um what would you call this batch of like exorcist hellraiser or Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a little lower, Hellraiser, where the first ones would just be the most fun thing to watch and talk about on on our podcast, you yeah. and me, buddy. Right. Uh, and then they really but fall then off. They're just not worth the commitment. I don't mean to sound like James Spader and Bad Influence getting uh, nervous about committing to uh, Marsha uh, Bobby Joe. <laughs> <laughs> What's a waspy day? What? Oh, oh Marsha Cross, that's the that's, real yeah. name. Yeah. Um, what if her name was Marsha Criss Cross and she wore all of her clothes backwards? Whoa. You know, like we are all young. connected, man. <laughs> my daughter just figured out how to snap, so I guess I can bring her to like a poetry reading. Oh now. my god! And, finally, in uh, <laughs> Soho. <laughs> um, so Matt. Uh, are we all where, where do we uh, jump in here well uh, I think that's most of the business yeah, um, yeah I don't think think there's anything we got to cover today so let's uh, let's just get into this guy I mean he, here's what I where I found myself with bad influence which I had never seen before mm-hmm. really enjoyed yeah I we talked about how just plain weird bedroom window was mm-hmm. we talked briefly about how good um LA Confidential is. Mm-hmm. This to me was like fell right in the middle of like Curtis Hansen's really on a path and what he learns from this movie to LA Confidential. What about Hand the Rocks or Cradle? Where does it fall on the Right, the what year is that? 92. So that's the one between God, yeah. I feel like incrementally they are exactly where they should be in the timeline of the arc of his like artistry. I thought that too. I was like, this is sharper than Bedroom Window. I like Silent Partner. So maybe that's just, uh, you know, the the confidence of the first time. Maybe that's so raw. Yes, yes, yeah. But then, yeah, as the budgets get bigger and maybe he's dealing with uh, uh, stars and whatever, uh, you know, it seemed like there was some not meddling or whatever with the bedroom window and stuff. So so it's just maybe about accruing more ability to. But like, yeah, so it goes Bedroom Window, Bad Influence, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, The River Wild, mm. Last Confidential, Wonder Boy. Oh, Last Confidential, LA Confidential, uh, uh, Wonder Boys, and Eight Mile. So I've seen all of those, but never didn't see the last one, which was like Lucky, the one with um, Eric Bana, where he's like a poker player oh no i didn't see eight mile either but uh, that's good i saw wonder boys in the theater but la confidential is far and away the yeah. peak for me what i, I really love about curtis hansen movie. just gotta say like 
I feel like he loves movies. Yeah. And when you watch his movies, you're like, oh, he um, loves how what movies can do and he you know uh maybe sometimes so, it, the 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 success rate isn't always there but uh, is he done or he's dead he passed away oh he's done yeah oh, he's dear. Done. <laughs> oh dear when did he pass away i wasn't told uh it, it was uh, untimely it was like a oh, probably man. about 10 15 years ago but it, un, you know too young oh, he had a, bummer. A career we him. would have had some good stuff from him no doubt i think so uh, especially when you see what he was doing post LA confidential of being like wonder boys is a definite, like doing it for me. Yeah. Like I got cachet from it. And then eight mile is like a true doing one for them, but it's like, he loves Rocky or whatever. Those like seeing an underdog become uh, strong by the end and strut their stuff. So eight mile has like all the best, like, Rocky audience moments and stuff like that. I, I saw it in the theater. It was like a fun theater experience. Yeah, I would check that out. I would have I'll killed. I'll out a theater. We'll all watch it. Okay, together or just the two of us. <laughs> I would have killed to have seen him take on the rest of those Elroy LA trilogy novels because frankly, I read all three of those recently Damn. and I think the, they're great, but the, I like the movie better because they're so dark the books are so dark and the movies kind of bring a little sheen. it's just a little bit more entertainment know, yeah, yeah. It, and like but still quality entertainment and that's just me I think I'm sure there are many Elroy heads out there who'd be like you know that's not legit or whatever fine but to have him do this, the Black Dahlia story it would be hmm, incredible interesting instead of who <laughs> oh sorry but it's true <laughs> Instead of, I did uh, watch that after I read right, the book. Bro, I know, and it broke your heart. I think I was like, <laughs> I was even like, don't go in. I know, I remember you're like, please don't don't let this be the last De Palma you ever watch, which it won't. Uh, but yeah, the way uh, LA Confidential probably manages to also synthesize plot. I haven't read it, but from fans, it's so they different. say like they, but the way they managed to crafted into a movie so if you're saying what did you like about the subsequent two and what are they is it like they're not trying to they're trying to uh capture a cat a loose cat (laughs) well the first one is just the black dahlia and then i'm already forgetting what is the third one called oh or is la confidential might be the third one i forget oh man are they about different um real life things or yes some they're, they're often invent- like some invention definite like um main fictional characters wrapped around a lot of real people and events and like riots and the black dahlia murder and a lot of the similar stuff that goes down in la confidential like you know that movie's just filled with real people like uh-huh. Johnny Stampanato and yeah. Yeah. And then filled with fictional people too. It's really gripping stuff, but I do find when you take out Elroy's bleak perspective of the world. Yeah. It, and it's not like LA confidential is a huge upper, right? It's just not what's well, bleak as, about him. Oh, it's just everybody's a shit. Humanity's awful. And like, there's no, uplifting ending on a lot of these things. And I'm just at a period in life. I've talked about it before yeah. where you want to bring in the light. Yeah. I, I the get curtains, not here, but with the live screen, it'd get too blown out. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want 
the, like the, I want people to be able to make that if that's what they want sure. to make. I'm glad it's been made, but I just have not found that very pleasing, which is interesting because I've been reading a lot of John le Carre recently and it's a real crapshoot what kind of ending you're going to get in those books too. So what based on um, his mood that uh, when he was writing the book, or I is guess it just, uh... his outlook on mankind. I also watched, they just, you know, a new documentary out by Errol Morris called the pigeon tunnel where he right, had yes, his last you... interview of Lichelle. Did you watch it yet? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, so you've watched it since the last time we talked about it. Yeah. I was like, uh, so now we're talking to you in a post having seen that world. <laughs> yeah. What did you think? Well, you're, you're no closer to understanding the mm. man than you ever were by like, watching what is like his fictional autobiography or reading it. There's mm-hmm. both versions, a perfect mm-hmm. spy about his con man father and stuff. And mm. he's just like very candid, but also very oblique. So mm-hmm. you'll never, I think what you see is what you get. Meaning like the man himself is not knowable. I don't, mm-hmm. he's only knowable to himself to a certain yeah. extent. He's his own unreliable narrator. And then you've got Errol Morris who himself is kind of tricky. Mm hmm. And and yet the whole thing's kind of as straight more straightforward than you'd think. Oh. In that it's about betrayal and deception. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. yeah, I, cool. I yeah, it's pretty great. Though. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, when you were saying, like, um, I don't. Would you say, uh, John? Uh, I don't know. The Carey. Yeah. Uh, would you put him in the category of like grump? N- no, I wouldn't. I put him in. Um, because I think James Elroy is like a grump. Yeah, I think he's a grump. And I was thinking like, is, are there any male authors who aren't like grumps? <laughs> I think that's like... Robert Fulgham, the things I learned in kindergarten. Uh, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Who's the guy who wrote uh, Bridges of Madison oh, County? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, no, and that's not like, God love them for being grumps. I'm saying like, maybe that's the quality of being uh, an author. Uh, yeah. It's like, you have to have a... A little bit of an attitude of maybe there's hope I'm sure under everything, but uh, I think he's less a grump and more of a, I don't know if cynic is the world, but word, but he's he's suspicious, he's mm-hmm. untrusting, and he's he's jaded. Like he's a you know he's a smooth river stone mm-hmm. who's had his edges worn away, but like you can't crack it. You yeah, know? I don't know. He's enigmatic, that's for sure. I've been thinking about how like. Um, how the relationship of like books to the reader must have changed when movies and TV shows became more permissive uh-huh. because I'm sure some of the power of uh, a spy novel you could write in the sixties is just like having a spy who is kind of a bad dude mm-hmm. but he's the main character he, he does questionable thing i know then they made bond movies and stuff yeah. off of a bit i just like the uh um and now once every prestige cable show almost has to have a character like that in order for people to think it's edgy and cool yeah i'm legit. wondering if yeah. like novelists and the, like i know uh, <laughs> philip roth is, was like you guys i was doing this stuff when nobody was allowed to do it in books i know look like is interesting because his films they didn't shy away from any of that so all his the early films of his like spire came in from the cold looking glass war uh, a deadly affair which is the film version of call for the dead all have the bleak ish endings in fact now that i think of it the movie's a little of deadly affair is 
more bleak than the book Call for the Dead in that mm. a character dies that doesn't die in the book. Huh. Interesting. But no, you know, mild spoilers to the others. They don't end well for a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. I just watched Looking Glass War for the first time. It has mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins in it. Oh, cool. And this actor that I wasn't familiar with before because he kind of quit acting early because I think nobody got along with him because mm-hmm. he was kind of told he looked like James Dean. And so I think he took that to heart and started kind of like, who, you know, like acting kind of like, a, you know, just a stuck up spoil sport on set. His name was Christopher Jones. And then oh, I, uh-huh. I learned that Quentin Tarantino approached him to be Zed in Pulp Fiction, but he turned it down. Because he was kind of like retired as an artist and sculptor at that point. Interesting. Yeah, and he was... So he's in the Looking Glass War. Okay, yeah, They yeah, had yeah. to dub him. David Lean saw him in this movie and said, I want him for my next picture. Didn't know that he was dubbed. And when he got to set, was like, uh-oh, we've got a problem here. Good dubbing if it tricked David Lean. I know. It is actually pretty decent dubbing. It's uh-huh. kind of that mix of like good dubbing, but also everything sort of sounded dubbing in that uh-huh. dubbed in that movie. Yeah, yeah. But I guess they kind of like gave him his character a little sidekick that David Lean then gave a lot of the lines to that sidekick and tried to make a kind of monosyllabic <sighs> character out of Christopher Whoa. Jones. Yeah. Got to work with what you got? I guess. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Hey, I love them tabs. But, but those, those boy, are that's good a tabs. big tab. Sorry, no. spy tab. That was a uh, that was a true. I love those tabs. Let's get back to it. Hey, what tabs don't I love? Uh, you like the soft drink tab? Hey, I was tabbing it up with you too, buddy. I, I wasn't putting the tabs on you. You Paul's, got nothing to apologize for. Paul's being a friend to me. He's, first of all, it's been a a long day here and I think he just fed me some spy candy to keep my spirits up and I I gotta say spy candy spy candy this this is the reason I love podcasting with this guy right across oh, that's very sweet. the spy One candy uh, uh, makes me think of um, we should do a double feature of spy hard <laughs> and hard, hard candy, candy. <laughs> you mean like the dual version commentary yes could you imagine you're like they were meant to be played together. I almost tempted to do that hard candy, or at least pick the two least. If the likely... running times are the exact same, I think we should do it. Yeah, because it'll be like this was intentional. <laughs> what do you think are the two least compatible films ever made? Like, what's the bleakest film ever made, and what's the happiest film ever made? Well, you could also, you know, least compatible could also be like um, wouldn't necessarily have to be even black against the color black against the color white. Right. It could be the color white with the color, I'm speaking metaphorically with the color off white. Yeah. Like that, like, well, yeah, just speaking about what we're talking about. If like, like if did. I watch Goodfellas next to blow, I'd oh, be like, yeah, this oh, is, like this. I wish it was Goodfellas and uh, Snow White and the Seven right. Dwarves. Cause it's uncanny Valley where it's, yes. yeah. It's like if you did, View to a Kill and Spy Who Came In From The Cold where they're kind of... Yes, or uh, Remo Williams. Oh, yes. Doesn't that also have a Golden Gate Bridge? uh... That's right. No, it has a Statue of Liberty. But if you did Remo Williams in (laughs) X-Men... For those of you uh, keeping at home, we're going to do these. What is... I am curious. what, What do you think the most bleak movie ever made is? Well, the, the one that I thought of is, uh, at least in terms of ones we've watched here, I thought of The Mist. Yeah. That, that has a pretty bleak, bleak ending. That one's at least got some, like, 
genre sci-fi to it. It's funny because even if a movie's really bleak, it's because that person who made it is wise and talented enough to pull a specific bleakness that's not just empty, easy bleakness. Right, right. But I was going to say, if that person did that, that filmmaker is usually sophisticated enough to allow you to find like some sliver of hope. Yes. So then it's like, okay, I got to find somewhere where a movie is not executes bleakness enough, but not with the wisdom of being oh, like, right. oh, and at the end you do kind of have to give like some, it's like what is novels do too. The they zombie can push Halloween the- movies then, because there's yeah. no real like artistry there. It's just bleakness for bleakness sake. The therapy scenes between Laurie Strode and Margot Kidder's therapy therapist character in Halloween two by Robert zombie, oh. Robert zombie, <laughs> <laughs> that might be the most uh, 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 bleak. And so you pair that with what's the happiest movie ever made? Singing in the Rain. Or, yeah. Um, uh, I'm not even trying to think. Milo and Otis. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Adventures of so, Milo yes, and Otis. Yes. Yeah. It's like a movie that doesn't even have like a dip to come back from that just peaks and peaks and peaks. What? Oh, oh like oh. a happy movie that doesn't even have like a second act. How are they going to get out of this one? Oh, that's really funny. Is like there what such movie a is thing? just where good things happen the whole time? Or just like hilarity and happiness and um, I I want to see that movie more than anything. I mean, it's like what we've said. It's like, why can't the first 10 minutes of a horror movie be 90 minutes where you just see a family nicely move into a house? Right, right. And by the end of the movie, they're like, hey, we're all unpacked. And uh, I mean, if somebody made a really like satisfying drama of like 20 minutes with seeing people when they, you know, it's always satisfying. You, You get it maybe once every three, four years packing a bunch of books in a box and then unpacking them and putting them in new shelves. So if a movie just did that, so I could have that experience cinematically, yeah. call it one or terms of endearment three or whatever fuck to get people to watch it. Yeah. I'm just stupid. I'm no, sorry. I do it. I am wondering why some bold director doesn't like fly in the face of all cinematic and narrative convention and go, I'm going to try. I mean, you got, Linklater, who spent years with a boy growing up on camera. You yeah. got Stanley Kubrick, who's tried multiple things that are outside the mm-hmm. paradigm of mm-hmm. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Why not try to make a 90-minute movie of people being happy? Has that been done? I understand that conflict is like essential to narrative tension and all that, but you'd think if there's like really a master out there, yeah, pull because pull it off. No, I... Anybody in the comments? Yeah, guys, that's a good uh, question for the comments. Because, um... oh, another bleak one would be. Um, although I think there's some artistry there. Is Bone Tomahawk? Ooh, that I didn't see that. But <laughs> you, you would say it's bleak Tomahawk <laughs> or Bone Tama bleak. It's Tom Bonahawk. It's, bleak Tama bleak. It's for you. Although it has a sort of like, I wouldn't say it's an uplifting ending, but like. You're coming up from where you got to. Is that the Mel Gibson movie? No. No, it's Kurt Russell. 
Kurt Russell's in it? Yeah. Hmm. I don't hate the movie. A lot of people after seeing it say, why did I have to watch that? Because there's just an incident in the movie that is. And someone described it to me as, you'll know it when you see it. Mm. And that has been, I've had that description happen to me with films before and I've still maybe tested them. As in like when you'll want to jump off just you'll you, know the moment I'm talking about when you see it. And I've seen I movies for people that and I still like, text him, was it this or this? This one, there's just no human way possible you couldn't know what they were referring to when it happens. And if you don't, it's on you, not them. Yeah. Like I love when that. it happens, there's I no love it way. when somebody says, Well, there's a part of the movie. Well, what happens? Yeah. You'll know when you see it. And then when you watch, you're like the fuck now I know why that person knew exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean anybody out there who's seen it knows what I'm talking about um, it's funny because you know Seinfeld I guess theoretically tried to do a show about nothing but they're nothing what's funny about it is it is um, the most mild not most mild it is like waiting to be seated at a restaurant yeah is mm-hmm. Banal. A true banal, but a conflict. Yeah. So even then, they don't have just right. like them hanging out at the diner for twenty two minutes, talking about because it's funny they they get inspired to do it and they do the, hey, do you think anybody said seltzer, and uh, they mistook it as salsa? I asked for seltzer salsa, and they laugh about it. And then George goes, "Well, that's what the sh- the show should be when they're coming up with the fake Seinfeld show uh-huh. in the show." And then I'm like, "True." But I wish there was more of that in Seinfeld. <laughs> I, I wish there was a whole episode that was just the seltzer salsa. Wouldn't that be funny? I mean, right? Nobody. Uh, I mean, we're talking about shows when people are funny. Nobody ever like goes like, "You're funny, dude." Like, <laughs> no, no. I hey, know. Rodney Dangerfield, like you're like have these one-liners that just, bust me the you're fuck killing up. me. Yeah, <laughs> I would think all day long. Rodney Dangerfield's characters would either be being told you're really funny or you're strange dude get away yeah <laughs> i seriously if i was in a rodney dangerfield movie like existed i'm not paul i'm yeah. uh the guy who's handing out trying to get signatures at the beginning of uh the back to school uh-huh. first day of college right and i see this funny guy like 20 feet away just cracking jokes i'd listen to him and I'd be like jesus he's funny I would seriously follow get him and around. follow yeah, him. I would, I would just too. follow him around and be like, too. who's this hilarious dude? I've done things like that before where I've met a character in real life who I've walked behind for a while just to see more. Yeah. That's who? Like, uh, just to kind of... Well, there was this lovely man at my theater department named Steiner who was the kind of... I don't know if he was quite a maintenance man or a janitor or mm-hmm. a facilities guy, mm-hmm. but he was like an immigrant artist who was so passionate and it was so sweet. And he was an older man and he would just talk your ear off. And I just loved talking to him because yeah. I was always trying to learn German. Yeah. And he was just, oh, he's, oh my, you have just, 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 just must grab life by the horns and just, you're such an artist. And I was not. And he would just, he would oh, imbue awesome. everybody with such passion. 
And, wow. And it cool, was like dude. also dangerous sometimes because I think he was a little bit of a drinker and mm-hmm. he would get very maudlin. He wasn't dangerous, dangerous, mm-hmm. but like you might get trapped and he'd start getting weepy and stuff. Uh-huh. And it was all more than you ever bargained for before 9 a.m. on the way to class. You know what I mean? <gasps> uh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I wish that guy well. I hope he's well. I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, but uh, when he, uh, you, you, where'd you uh, follow him? Like, where, where'd you? Uh, well, the f- not before follow. I got to know him, I would just kind of like he would always be around talking to people. And oh, I, would I see what you mean. You're yeah. like, he's in a crowd. You're in the crowd too, but yeah. he's like the celebrity. Yeah. He's the person you're looking to see, like and what he's up yeah, to. Yeah, and it's easier uh-huh. to follow someone around on a campus. Too, yeah, but he was always dressed like a bohemian artist with like a kind of like vest with no corners, you know, everything was kind of rounded and he'd have like a cloth cap on and, you know, he was like kind of stylish. Yeah. But yet again, he was just like a, you, you definitely knew he had a past that you didn't know the details of. Something yeah. Like, he must've like had some hard times or something. I Maybe he was like the equivalent of like, um, uh, Mr. E, the guy who like, um, had the game, the rules for the game. Oh, like picking right. Up chicks. Oh, yeah. Like he's wearing like clothes. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, think that was the, From the case like, for this man. The guy that wrote the game, the movie, the game, or the book where you neg. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what that guy at your campus was sort <laughs> I don't of doing. Know. <laughs> Uh, by dressing like that, um, I'm kidding. He sounded like a lovely man. That's a. He was. Uh, um, now, I, if Rodney Dangerfield was also there, you. We both follow him. We, that's how we would meet. Now. You following I, this guy? I <laughs> Hey, you following this guy? Now, uh, I would um, also follow another actor, star, if I saw them, J- James Spader, yeah. to bring it to yes. old B.I. Good, yeah. Um, so y- you said, um, you. I rather liked it, right? Is that I, it I did. I... Or really you enjoyed say- watching it. Whether it's a really good movie, I couldn't say. I think it's still got a little residual weirdness in directing and filmmaking. Residual weirdness. Just, just still, <laughs> he hasn't fully mulched his weirdness. But it's getting there. And some of the weirdness in this is working with the like good filmmaking. So this starts to create a stew that I'm interested. Yeah. Even if this movie isn't perfect... I, you got me hooked and it tended to get better for both me and Amanda as it went along. Like by the time you got to James Spader having to kind of work to get his fingerprints and everything and it becomes kind of like almost a procedural mm-hmm. revenge thriller mm-hmm. it was really good. I will say right away, mm-hmm. I thought my, like my first, my first note here is opening tittles because it just opens on breasts. I mean, it, the title of the movie is on nude yeah. breasts. Yeah, they're not messing around. They're not. I mean, that, I, I I was thinking like, what erotic, yuppie nightmare thriller has he ever done that? What movie has ever done that? They just write cut to the chase. In high school, my friends and I would joke about a movie opening, and it freeze frames on nude breasts. So this movie got close to our joke, which is it would. Mind you, this was a joke by 16-year-olds, Please. okay? It would freeze frame on the breast, and then the credits would be Wait, this built. a movie you're making up? My friends and okay. I would be like, what if a movie okay. did this? Ha, 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 ha. 
the credits were milk coming out of like the nipple <laughs> and like splashing on screen was... and like spelling like written by Wait, Robert Town. What's the name of the movie? You know, I don't know if we had a name of the movie. We would, we really liked teen sex comedies. Like yeah, we you were a teenager. Porkies and yes. stuff and laugh yeah. about them and screwballs and loose yeah. screws and stuff like Student that. Student bodies. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And we would, uh, I think now that I, in retrospect, I'm like, what we were doing was just like pitching seeds for our, but we would just be like, wouldn't it be funny if one of those movies, they start with like... <laughs> Nude. They actually start with nude because I think Screwballs ends with. Uh, sorry for this blue talk. Hey, that's okay. It's a tab uh, day. Well, uh, but when when I was you know embarrassed how I said something I felt like was lewd, isn't that exactly what Alex is you, is testing from Michael? Have you not yourself been under the bad influence of bad influence? Can you be blamed? Now look this. I don't, what would you call it? Obviously, it's not a triptych, because that's two, three. What's a two? Kinda? Diptych. A diptych. This is a dip. A, a diptych um, that um, is in Strangers on a Train. Oh, yeah. And uh, Fight Club. No, because right there, can I just yes, interject? Please. I thought right when this movie started, and... Not to jump ahead, we can cover stuff yes, before, yes. but when Rob Lowe comes in and saves him in the bar, crashes the bottle down, and he looks up and he's gone, I went, is this Fight Club? Did did Fight Club get stolen from this? He's imaginary. And the whole movie's just weird enough that for at least the first half, if not two-thirds, was thinking, there's a twist coming. Yes. There's a twist. And there isn't. Matt, I mean, yes. The, Other than uh, a good little twist at the end. And Chuck Palahniuk, the writer of, uh, the author of Fight Club, has said that bad influence was a influence. I'm on... wondering that because all he had to do is put that extra twist leap on and he's got his his book. Yeah, I watched, um, and then and then like the fun kind of like extrapolating it to when it becomes like militarized like when that's the other thing it jumps off with bad influence along with it being a twist that that's his conscious also the idea that like it revs him up to build like a little army to take on the things that he didn't like but um the uh i don't know why i'm correcting you on that to be like no 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 no, no, please uh wait were you gonna say more beyond uh fight club and strangers on a train were there other yes uh um but the the, the, i I wrote them down but the point i was gonna uh say sorry i'm sorry no 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 i'm sorry no dumb point uh there something in those Forget strangers on a train. Just think this in Fight Club. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That like when an audience watches it, it's easy to project yourself into either person, neither of the people, or both of the two guys. And I'm not saying this just for male viewers watching this movie. I would think also women could have this experience of just like, oh, that's within me. Mm. Like, whatever he says is like a voice. And he's like, oh, and I listen to that voice. Like, that, like, uh, I'll just say more movies. Like, that's such a little delicious setup of like, because I feel like psychologically an audience gets on board with it. 
of this idea of like, I do have this little piece of me that wants to get corrupted or do nasty things. And if this person came along and gave me permission, uh, would I do it or not? And then if I did, what, like, that's such a, uh, and then looking at Rob Lowe or Brad Pitt in Fight Club as like, well, that's an appealing alpha person who I know they're not necessarily doing the right things, but you can project it into that too. Like, it's just like a dual weird thing of like, you're projecting into like all your nerdy James Spader aspects and then also projecting all your Rob Lowe stuff at the same time. And you kind of get the good scene, how they wrestle it. Yeah. I mean, my favorite scene in the movie is when he pulls over and he's like, I'm going to be sick after they rob. And... James Spader gets out on the sidewalk and he's, you think he's going to barf. And it's funny. It's got like a lens store behind him, like glasses. Yeah. It's like such a 80s thing. But then he's like standing there and uh, I'd forgotten this part. I imagine he's going to barf and he's going to say, take me home. But when he said he didn't barf, and he's like, let's do it again. Let's go, go more. Um, that where, where I was like, oh, this is a, just, um, a more thoughtful mm. movie that then, um, even, um, strangers on a train is sort of like somebody got sort of accidentally seduced into committing a crime or being forced into a crime. If you watch like bad influence, even when he meets, Rob Lowe up at that bar and Rob Lowe does that crazy thing of like, why would you toast to a man who you like? Oh, yeah. Um, you can see in his eyes that he's does kind of, you know, like it. Yeah. We're yeah. There's more manipulation in strangers on a train and there's a little bit more like willing indoctrination in, yeah. in this one. And with all three of those, they do have a like gay subject, yeah. strangers on a train fight club and this For like sure. when, Oh, when you were saying, sorry, when you were saying that thing about fight club, how you could be imaginary, I thought that too, of like when he turned around and he wasn't there Yeah, and I was like, um, thinking, Oh, if somebody wanted to read into that, that would be a, good enough scene as any to like prove like but I don't think I ever would have thought that having not seen Fight Club and I don't think it's the intention of this movie it's just really weird how that plays yeah but then to your point like then because you were saying and then even continuing things are odd it's true like I was watching with those eyes and he goes to the dock the first time he meets him is it does feel like some weird psychological thing where he's with a woman Rob Lowe woman walks off and now nobody's around yeah. to witness the two of them going over and talking to each other. And then they would go to that ghost bar yeah, with the one right. bartender. It just felt like... The mask, no, he's wearing a mask on the robberies and Rob Lowe isn't. Yes. And he thought like, well, if this guy's imaginary, he doesn't need to wear a mask, you know? It'd be, it'd be cool to pick Chuck Polinick's brain yeah. to be like... Oh, did you watch Bad Influence and go, you know, if you wanted to, you could kind of imagine, like, why is he wearing a mask? It's to, you know, because it's the same dude. Yeah. Um, the It also, you know, it's funny because I don't think our Yuppie Nightmares last year necessarily had this component, but it is in After Hours um, and... Um, bedroom Window? Bedroom Window, which is... 
the reason somebody got in oh fatal attraction before but the reason somebody got into trouble was because they were um following their dick you Uh know but it's funny with like bad influence rob lowe might be into james spader i don't necessarily get james spader is in love with rob lowe or anything but like the way they um it's a lot like something wild or like whatever was going on in those movies of like the pent up yuppie. The only difference is this, like in those movies into the wild, it's because the guy wants to have sex with the girl. Yeah. Right. But what I love about James Fader and like what makes it, you know, different than strangers on a train, like, which is like, we're going to commit a crime. It's such a yuppie thing where he gets embroiled in his like, yuppie life goals uh, yeah i'm thinking about you know what i mean now. like he's yeah. like i want a promotion and i i feel like i'm in a i don't want to know if i want to get married it's right. not even like crimes right. he's asking yeah. for he's like buddy i'll hook you up because yeah. i know you want to fool around and you want to move ahead and work up the ladder at your job like that's what he's helping with it's such a funny like <sighs> he I, likes him for that not because he's like having sex with them. It's just like, you get me the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I blabbed a blue, blue Hey, blue. thanks for buzz marketing my podcast too, Keys to the Kingdom. Hey, let's talk about no, no, it. No. And let's talk about, because we forgot about oh, don't it. Don't worry about that. No, 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 no. No, no more tabs. It's okay. Townland. I've done enough promotion on this Hey, podcast. it exists. People know. There's a clip. People can still watch it. Go to a link and watch it live. There you go. Wait. Right now. Thank you. Till October 28th. That's true. Yeah, see? You're kind. Um, I I don't identify with Rob Lowe, not because I'm a good person, but only because I feel like in my life I've been in James Spader's position a couple of times as a slightly, I think I've always been a little bit more naive socially than I should be at the age I'm, I was currently at at the time. And I've had once or twice, once specifically in college where an older guy kind of glommed on to me and he was an unsavory type. Mm. And I, I was not seduced by him, but I had this sort of feeling almost like I would date girls when I was younger of like, who am I to say no to this? You know, if someone wants to be my friend, I should be their friend. That's Mm -hmm. how this works. Mm -hmm. Before realizing like this was an unsavory character and was like, kind of reading stuff on my computer, my journal and found instances of like almost single white female behavior. Oh, interesting. And so he was kind of getting a little twisted up and you're like, let's have some space here. It was weird. And the more I look back on it, I think that there was a kind of attraction on their part in some way that was, couldn't manifest itself overtly for that person so it yeah. became a kind of possessiveness and mm. real strangeness and today i wouldn't have the time of day for not the homoerotic part on their part but mm. the like invasion of privacy type of thing mm-hmm. and i i think i just felt very um willing to let people kind of penetrate my privacy more than I think I should have. And, and when I watch a movie like this, it's like, it's not traumatic anyway, cause nothing no. bad happened, but I do feel like 
in that scene when Rob Lowe freaks him out, like you just mentioned, where he goes, what does he say? He says, uh, why would you toast to a man who's, who you, job you wanted or who's... <laughs> let him, let him... Oh, no, yeah, you're right. That. I, I wrote... He's like, come on, let's toast to Patterson. And then they're about to. Uh, and then he freaks out in a total psycho move. And he says, yeah. why would you toast to Toast to Patterson. Yet? And when he does that, I would say, I wrote, why wouldn't anybody leave immediately when another human being did that to them, regardless of whether they're trying to teach them a lesson? If someone looked at me in a bar and did that to me, I would just say goodbye. Now, yeah, it's- that, it's insane. The uh, right, right, right. The well, it's funny because uh, Rob Lowe kind of asked a similar question to him, like, "Why, when that guy told you to move out of the bar, didn't you just move?" And he was like, "Well, sometimes there's a voice in my head that I listen to that says just stay at the bar and don't move for this guy." And he's like, "Well, I listen to that voice, you know, all the all the time." Like the uh, whatever the like instinct to. Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm with you. I feel like both anybody, uh, man or woman, has probably been in a situation where you befriend somebody who's unsavory. And it's not like a situation of like, but they're nice to me. It's more it's like, like pressure. They almost pressure you. Yeah. You get into some sort of, I guess it's like just a case of like, yeah, boundaries, but maybe what the boundaries feel weird about is like when a friendship is forming, if you're kind of like allowing boundaries to be formed, you're hoping if you're liking the person, you're having a good time that they're not secretly psycho. Yeah. And so I think yeah. it's, you know, maybe the, uh, friend version of the like fatal attraction. Uh-huh. of just like, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that you were psycho shit. And um, we're going to get there with single white female too. It's yes. going to be interesting. The only time I ever really identify with Rob Lowe is on the podcast mall walk. And when Mark and I, come up to a Macy's and he never wants to go in because we often get kicked out of Macy's and I turn into a bit of a, a Rob Lowe of like, come on, come on, what are That's you afraid funny. of? Let's go. And we we snap into those roles and it's, you know, mostly comedic, but... Well, when you said, why wouldn't he get up and leave? Yeah. I was thinking, so that's in his head, you know. Uh, he's hoping somebody kind of will say to him, uh, uh be a psycho and then, you know, it's exciting or whatever. But I didn't think about this, but when you were saying that, I thought, oh, well, he's putting himself in the occasion of sin. You know, because as a Catholic, I was like, I know that term. And it's interesting, he prays uh, at the end, James Fader, when he's like flipping out, oh. um, you can hear him start like whispering a prayer. Oh, um, I didn't catch that. And so, I don't know, it's a very, uh, on a side little Catholic how Catholic Catholicism shapes a person. Yeah. Um, you know how people are like, oh, it's really weird that um, allegedly uh, Kennedy, JFK won Chicago because the mafia, organized crime helped him. Yeah. And they were all, And then when they get to become president, he's president and he makes Robert F. Kennedy attorney general. And his main thing is like, we're going to stop organized crime. And people are like, 
wait a minute, what, what are you doing with this? We got, you know, and I was, uh, I went on a little tangent just last night to my uh, lovely wife, Leslie, where I was like, only a Catholic president would do that. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah. no, no other person. It, that's an entirely thing. To atone for it, their sins, you mean, basically? But it's, and I'm not saying for all Catholics, I actually think it's a wonderful faith and I think it does a lot of good for a lot of people. But the uh, thing of like, we know we did a bad thing by f- this is all allegedly. Don't yeah, tell yeah. me like this wasn't true or whatever. I don't we, we, yeah, yeah. This, this just, is if not you're that saying discussion. this is the matter at right. hand that the Kennedys cheated to win right. in Chicago through the help of organized crime, that's their sin. Uh huh. And you got to atone for it, yes. But instead of like being like, what kind of person am I who does such a thing to what it'll be like? Well, then the, it'll be eradicated. I will wash the blood oh, from it. And then it becomes, well, when we become attorney general, we will stop them. It's like, whoa, 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 guys, 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 guys. You can... <laughs> uh, the, uh, to have to, I don't know, misshape other people's lives in a way to work out your own atonement, I think is like... Yeah, <laughs> I see what you're saying. That's fascinating. Nixon wouldn't have done that. No. He would have just been a little creep who pulls tricks uh, Yeah, which stuff. he was, the Quaker creep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been watching, you mentioned Anthony Hopkins, I've been watching Nixon. Oh, uh, wow. And... It's so funny because Michael Douglas and Anthony Hopkins are like the two people where I'm like, their eyes, they're such intelligent actors that they know how to get thinking across. Like you can see in their minds, like eyes piece stuff together and stuff. But it's funny, like Michael Douglas is in Wall Street, you know, like one of his most famous parts. And not that Nixon is like the most famous Anthony Hopkins role, but the Oliver Stone writes in such a like, um, broad, no nuance way. Uh-huh. That's what I've sure. really been enjoying about watching Nixon is Anthony Hopkins figuring out how to bring nuance to the most like broadly written in the in film. He was. I was just watching that movie, The Looking Glass, War, and I always thought like Hannibal Lecter was his, his part of that character was just same with Van Helsing in, in Dracula's Just Speak. In quick little bursts. But he does the same thing in Looking Glass War. And then I recently watched The Lion in Winter, which was another one of his early films, and it's an amazing movie. And he's well, the same kind of did same Nixon way. then just like perfectly line up with his like That's cadence a good because Kate, Nixon Maybe. does have whatever that little like yeah. I'm gonna put a thought here. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. Yeah. That I'm gonna say this. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. That's cool. Mm. Uh um yeah, speaking of uh should we take a uh Bad flatulence uh, break. <laughs> I had that in my pocket, bad, so to speak. Bad influence. <laughs> bad influence, yeah. Uh, um, up to you. I'm good either way. Yeah, I don't have to pee, which is... Well, let's give it 10 more minutes. And okay, then, then we'll talk. It's like uh, the weather in Blaine. Give it 10 more minutes. I really think we could get that down, too. <laughs> um, the, speaking of actors, so... Um, James Spader, I love it. And this year seemed to be kicking off whatever would be his thing kind of for the next, like, yeah, up until, like, the Blacklist or the Avengers movie. Like, guy who looks like 
a yuppie or a right. upwardly mobile person. Because he kind of went away for a while before the Avengers and the Blacklist, right? Yes, yeah. I don't know where he was finding his yeah. niche or whatever. I think he had to settle into middle age because people still Go expected bald. the boyish yeah. kind of yuppie, yeah. Yeah. Um, but his thing, you know, like with Crash and Secretary and White Palace, um, I think there's a couple others of... Uh, he he was like in dirty movies. Yeah. He was just like the person right. who was like in sex lives and videotape is more, but it's funny. It's the same year as bad influence. Cause they're kind of different characters. Like he's like the wolf in sheep's clothing. I think more in sex lives and videotape, right. but, um, whatever. <laughs> it's just so funny that that's like somebody's, quality and niche of like I like that that guy's a secret perv yeah. Uh, yeah but I think he's so good in this I like the woman who gets murdered I, I yeah she was uh, good good and um, uh, little side characters that were cast in the ensemble like his secretary yeah she's amazing the she's brother's awesome. so good too the brother is amazing I mean that's uh, as far as whatever this movie does that's like different than a thriller, that brother thing is really special, man. It I is. gotta say. And I think this is where Curtis Hansen has taken a step up to in his casting. Maybe he had more control. It sounds like he did. Cause actually Steve Gutenberg wasn't his first mm-hmm. choice. So he, and I think LA confidentials cast really well. Too. Yes. Um, but still putting people you wouldn't expect and maybe they're just a little left of center so that they're really good casting, but also like not perfect yeah. fits. So you're always kind of jarred a little bit by them, mm-hmm. which I, I really liked, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but here's some re- residual weirdness left over. Okay. What, who is, um, what is Rob Lowe's Tony, but he's also who else, who else is he? Oh, Francois or something. He's all these people. Yeah. Who is he really? Because in the beginning, we're never told anything about what he does for a living. He's maybe just a grifter of some kind, where he's from, who he is. All we see is that he's leaving a woman that he's just had sex with and he's taking any proof of their existence together, which just happens to be them at a firing range, shooting guns, seemingly in love, which itself tells a story. But then when you really think about it, the deeper story is who the fuck took those pictures? Because they're a witness to that. Oh, yeah. And who is this guy? So it's not like Curtis Hansen's basically saying, let's leave him a total mystery. You get this clue in the beginning that's actually more confusing than anything when you really think about it. Yeah, and it's the fact that it's tied in with, it's clearly a... um, I don't think they use this word for dudes or whatever, but like a walk of shame. Yeah. It is like, so you also can read, oh, this guy is a ladies man. Uh Uh-huh. And I did like that. Like what, if that's his, if, um, hedonism is his going to eventually be his Achilles heel or whatever. Um, like I like that he was at, his most vulnerable at the end when he was at his most hedonistic. It's like yeah. you would have been ready for the drop from Spader if he he had just had sex with one woman, not two. Like oh, he kind of like his he starts 
not following his code. Like yeah. hedonism in this movie does have like eventually like if you want it all, your James Spader is going to be able to sneak up on you with his brother at a camcorder. Right. <laughs> but right. to go back to the yeah, that brother is awesome. I love that. Um, and what I liked about it too was that you know, for being honest here, the last half hour of most of these yuppie nightmares. You can judge them on how much they cannot become preposterous or not. And right. like when they start becoming preposterous is when you're like, fuck this movie. I was liking it. Up or it just descends into another chase yes. or like rote thriller. Yep. Where yeah. And they forget whatever the fun qualities were of the, or interesting qualities. Yeah. I thought that was probably the most like genius thing of having the brother because then when the movie had to do kind of like that back half stuff of like getting the fingerprints and stuff that in a normal movie might seem a little like preposterous. I mean, they could, they're like Hardy boys, these two brothers, <laughs> but uh, like uh. because I bought their relationship of this kind of like sad stoner older brother who's asking, I like loved all that. Yeah. Whatever they were doing, and at the end, that was like a little like I wouldn't even say it was preposterous. I was just like, I agree. I like these brothers and how they support each other. There's something beautiful about yeah. it. Yeah, and the baggage I'm bringing to this movie with probably more baggage from later existing movies is that I kept thinking for sure the brother's gonna die. For I sure know. the brother's gonna die, and it made me keep realizing how much I cared about him. Yeah, that I, I was know, like, don't make him just expendable for the plot because. I know. That's really going to make James Spader's character really sad. Like, if he doesn't survive this, it doesn't matter because James Spader is going to be sad about his brother. Like, I, I, I wanted him to there. live more than James Spader. Yeah. This movie is, if it has a downside, it's almost not its fault because it's victim to later tropes. So I kept, first of all, I'm thinking mm-hmm. there's a like psychological twist on mm-hmm. whether Rob Lowe's real or not. Then it's like the brother's going to die. And then the shot at the end when they've stood there the whole night on the pier, never seeing Rob Lowe's body, but the video camera's down on the ground in a puddle of water, and Amanda goes, Rob Lowe's hand's going to come up and grab that thing, like almost like a Friday the 13th ending, and I was like, of course that's what's going to happen. And no, it doesn't, and right, right, rightly so, it shouldn't. No, but you're right that it, like, just, it dissolves to... I mean, it's an interesting thing because it's two years after Fatal Attraction went back and reshot an ending. So I would have that yeah. goose of, uh, oh, and it's funny her name is Alex in that movie and his name is Alex. Like oh, they're both right. like the yeah. names of uh, yuppie tempters. Yeah. Uh, don't follow those Alexes around. They'll get you into trouble. Um, the other thing that, that I liked about that brother um, was the like 80s or whatever, the in a... 40s, 50s noir. Um, the guy who just, the brother who's like a kind of weak stomached and yeah. stuff, after he committed the crime, he would go back and he would pull a big gla- a bottle of bourbon sure. and pour a glass. Yeah. I like that the 80s equivalent was just like <laughs> taking massive bog hits with like tears streaming down his eyes. <laughs> I know he's so good. That's the thing. Curtis Hansen is always just le- all he wants to do is make a noir film, and yeah. he's getting closer and closer with movies that he's allowed to until he just gets to do one with LA Confidential. Well, I but felt- this one is such a good noir. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, definitely. And the noir like thing that I felt was like when I was like, oh, this is like the perfect synthesis or whatever was when he moved stuff out of the apartment 
and you get that big wall of glass cubes. Oh, I mean, obviously, we'll take a quick second on that. Yes, just please. pound for literally pound for pound. <laughs> yes, of the largest wall of glass bricks in any movie ever, and it's it's like a peak. By the way, I have this from bottom maybe to top. Yeah, from bottom to top. Maybe this is not the best yuppie nightmare ever made, but I think it's the, so far the most peak yuppie nightmare. Oh, of like the definition of this would be a nightmare that a yuppie would have. Yeah, and not, I mean, it hits probably a, a fair amount of the tropes as well, but just. No, just you're the right. The yuppiness of it all. I lost like my the, what? My the, I lost my trophy fiance. Yeah, I lost my job. Finance. I lost my apartment. I finance. Yeah. He's in, in finance. In in like the condo he lives in. Mm -hmm. Everything is just the, just the decoration. The the glass bricks make it alone. Make it yeah. like peak noir. Yes, yuppie, yuppie noir. Yeah. Well, when the all that stuff gets moved out of the apartment and the so lights just shining through, there's a point where like it just looks sort of black and white, yeah, like uh, whatever the right. um, chiaroscuro or however you pronounce that, like the the noir lighting that's like that hard black against hard white lighting. Oh yeah. And when there was a shot of Rob Lowe standing in front of a big wall of glass cubes, and then but it looked black and white with shafts of light. I was like, this is like pretty much as what you were saying, uh, uh, or, or, or what I would say, I'm just like, oh, what you were saying, like it's a very noir movie. And then, yeah. oh, obviously all those beautiful neon lights and bars and yeah. stuff. I can't believe I didn't say this right when this podcast started. Because uh, this is a... Um, the DP of this, the cinematographer, Robert Elswit. Matt, hold on to your butts. My favorite living cinematographer. <gasps> it's true. What else has he done? Uh, he's Paul Thomas Anderson's. Oh, uh, with, not yeah. now, but with, for a big body of his work. And oh. then uh, amongst others. Uh, but he, um, there's, and it's in Bad Influence. It's like photographed and lit in a way that like it's warm or like earthy and then the skies i don't know how he times the day and stuff but like when james spade goes early in for work and there's like those cool blue pre-morning like just after dawn skies that's out the window there's times where he's on a deck and there's like a sunset but there's like um you know i love inherent vice but that's just filled with all of these like sunset over water yeah. manhattan beach sort of shots so to get all of that in this plus just like true like neo-noir stuff of like when they go in that liquor store and it's like <laughs> framed by neon lights and the streets are all wet. Yeah, yeah, the wet streets. I love when he goes on the dock for the first time, and it's like mm, 5.30 p.m., and he gets to the end of the dock, and it's just midnight. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Too. The Manhattan Beach thing is so fascinating because... I feel like in, in the old noirs, it was just a common thing to go to the South Bay a lot. It, it, mm. it happens also in... Um, like uh, 
the usual suspects Chinatown, in LA confidential da, da, da. Chinatown. Yeah. yeah. To live and die in LA. There's a lot of South Bay. Stuff I think too. that was the beach community back then maybe. Mm. So it's interesting that it's happening in this and I'm never one to like pick apart a movie for its geography. Cause I understand like you have to get from place to place and you have to make it work, but it's still fun to talk about. Sure. So the fact that he works we know he works in the Wilshire district across the street from the La Brea Tar Pits, yeah. but he goes jogging in Manhattan beach after work. So he drives minimum 45 minutes in traffic, if not longer I know. to go to and get there by daylight. I thought that too. To, to, and then by happenstance run into like he, he would have to be, you know, just in terms of um, uh, the percentage wise, he has to be going down there a lot just to be able to have an opportunity right. time spent there to have the coincidence of running into yeah. this uh, pretty boy again. And it's just funny that it's Manhattan Beach because anybody in L.A. knows nothing against Manhattan Beach, but there's just nothing's happening in Manhattan Beach that isn't happening elsewhere. There's nothing <laughs> special about Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, San Pedro Long Beach, like I lived in that area. Yeah, it's I great. Why, I love it, why but do it's so not. Many crime things happen, and like, is that just? Uh... I don't know. San Pedro makes sense because it's where the shipyards are, mm -hmm. and it's also a former like naval town. Where if you go into San Pedro, it's high up on a bluff. It has a lot of old architecture and a lot of like old dive bars and you surplus stores, so you can feel the like the past life mm -hmm. of the military there, mm. and, and a kind of like understanding that there was a lot coming in and a lot going out, mm. but Manhattan beach, Hermosa beach, I don't know, all the way up through like Mar Vista and LAX mm -hmm. is just kind of a forgotten upper middle class area of LA now. And then Palos Verdes is in between, which is like a wealthier class. It isn't until you get to Malibu or all the way down to Huntington Beach that you have what are now the quintessential beach towns mm -hmm. of Los Angeles. But I, I don't think that used to be the case. Yeah. And Long Beach was because that was also a naval town and it didn't used to have the breakwater. Now it has a breakwater and a harbor, so there's no waves and it has a sand beach, but it's not mm. like a beach beach. It's so just interesting. It's like a combination of like, it's scenic, you know, so, or, or, or. If, if it's in a book, it's an interesting setting. And then maybe a beach is where like drugs and guns can be run by a boat. And like, that's the closest you can I don't know, have. but like Manhattan beach is just a residential <laughs> leisure beach. It's not an industry beach and it's, it's not quite near a freeway. Uh -huh. Like if you're going to go down the 110, you're going to, you go straight into San Pedro Yes. It's not super easy to get. It is now also now that you have the 105 it's a little easier mm -hmm. but that didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. That's so mm -hmm. it is this kind of like isolated beach town and I never question it in the old noirs when they say they go down there because everything was just a road <laughs> like a highway away not yeah. a freeway away. Yeah. Now it's just like prohibitively difficult to get down there and I I just love that. Well same with the yeah when you were talking about the um he works across from the La Brea tar pits. Yeah. Um now this is just a fun ribbon of movie that this is all I'm doing, but it's like of all the inconspicuous places <laughs> to hide a body, the fucking La Brea tar pits on Wilshire. It's like so wild. And if they find the body, which they likely will more than if you just put her in ditch, whatever, Absolutely. like, um, 
it will become the most high profile. Uh, we got to find out who did this because some fucking killer put a body in the like that is such a preposterous choice. And then to do it across from your workplace. <laughs> I was like, dude, dummy he's, move on two. He's ed- the dumbest. Yeah. The other thing I love is that the first time that. But of course it's because it's scenic and it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I get like, yeah, 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 yeah. The first time that they get together after he saves him, they just show them talking inside the museum of the La Brea Tar Pits. So these guys that have never really met got together and then at some point had to have the discussion like, you want to go in there? I'll get the ticket. Don't worry. Let's go. Let's buy a ticket and, and talk and walk through the La Brea Tar Pits Museum. Yeah, and he's like, uh, do you got time? He's like, well, I had something at four. And then they go in there and it starts coming up to four. And he's like, what about that thing at four? He's like, I can push it. But we're, I do have, have to go jog in Manhattan Beach at, at 5.30. Hey, I live there. I oh, live in that dock. I just wait until I can find a house to squat in <laughs> to ruin a guy's life and then squat. Um, the, uh, 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 I, speaking of locations, though, I couldn't find, so maybe it's a set or something they built, I couldn't find the glass cube house. His, his I, house. Now, they show it from the outside, and was it... From the outside, uh, didn't I? Can't remember. I felt like it looked like that from the outside, but maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't. So that maybe the interior probably was a set with all that lighting. But uh, yeah. although it looks so prohibitively narrow, it almost felt real. You know? Yes. Like, why would you build it with those right. corners and that kind of height? Like, I so believed it exists, as a location. I, I don't know if it is. What's that? I believed it as a location. Yeah. See, I mean, I want to live there I bet there's one superhero we often look and trust to who can find out Brantley Palmer <laughs> oh yeah uh, should what? we take a pee break yeah that's okay. 10 minutes if ooh people uh, people uh, listeners uh, if let us know if that was exactly 10 minutes after did we Matt do it? it that'd be cool I'll be we'll be right back with Corley and Ryan. 
And Spader would have been good in the Gutenberg role when we were trying to think of yes. like if it had just been a couple of years later, you would have yeah. totally bought like this is a guy who's handsome enough to get this gal, right? A little squishy in his morals that he might do one thing or the other, not quite right, and then get in over his head. Now, I think I know where you're headed, Rob Lowe. Yeah, you know, not a good actor. I mean, no. a good comic actor when he's like in comedian funny roles when he's sort of like playing on the, playing against what he's known to be you know what i mean like he's he's better when he's self-parodying isn't the word but like yeah I in mean, on the joke he's better when he's in on the joke yeah yes because there is a, a moment in this and it's in the first scene with him where he says where he crashes the bottle and he says let him go uh, and they're like I think it's like three levels of acting. And one is when the actor is so believe when the actor is not believable to the viewer and the actor doesn't believe it themselves. And then the other end is the actor believes it themselves and the viewer believes it themselves. This was the perfect example of the actor completely believes it, but the audience doesn't. Yeah. He said that with such confidence, but it was such self-awareness of like, I'm fucking amazing. I'm being a bad. Yeah. And it just, it didn't land. Yeah, I, I any uh, in Wayne's World and Tommy Boy, you know, he I like his acting in those and Parks and Rec. He's really funny. He's hilarious in that um, Liberace. Oh yeah, movie. that's awesome. He is great in he that. Yeah, as the so cosmetic funny. surgeon guy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would say comic roles. He's like, but the um like anything outside of that, it's that he's too um lightweight yeah like a few years ago leslie and i watched like about last night and he's just kind of like sometimes just like his face and what he gives off it's like it doesn't have the power to be on screen to break a bottle of beer and scare the guy off like there's just it doesn't and it's good casting in this movie in the sense of just like, well, that was kind of like what people saw Rob Lowe as during that time. And so this is just kind of an interesting like casting experiment. But if it had been somebody else. Yeah, like who? You get why like he's strikingly handsome. So you think that like oh, should be all you need. But- I know. Uh, Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah. Because in that era, yeah. I mean, he was even a soap star like Rob right. Lowe. Or, on, uh, sorry, I'm thinking John Stamos. Uh, but, uh, right. like, um, you would buy, he could seduce you into being... But maybe he doesn't seem... He also looks like a guy who's in the CIA, too. Like, Baldwin, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you would... I guess if you dressed him right and stuff, but like, I'm just trying to imagine him when he goes over and he walks to the girls at the end of the bar, which he's a little more menacing. Yes. Baldwin. And, and it might not be like, you might not have the level of entree that Rob Lowe gives you, but good Rob point. Lowe can't like bring the back end. In, yeah. You know good point. I mean? the, the menacing is not the right quality. It has to be somebody who like sinister is sinister charisma. Sharky. Like kind of sharp. Yeah. Like, who would who would that be of this era? It's funny because there was Chadlow. So 
(laughs) (laughs) There's so many Brat Pack actors around that time that you could just kind of... I mean, Swayze is the closest... Maybe better than Rob Lowe. Swayze and... um, uh, uh, Keanu Reeves and Point Break is the example of what I'm talking about. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And, and yes. I thought I knew of another, another one, one was the cable guy. Cable yeah. guy is like yeah. pent up guy and the guy who's reckless enough to take right. chances the for you and mess up your life because of it. Um, when I just mentioned that they go down to the bar and um, he's a little dork about it and then he comes back and then Rob Lowe just like whispers to a girl and she leaves with him. I love this movie for what they had him say as a dork trying to break the ice about how sometimes he wishes he could live in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. (laughs) It's like so exquisitely bad, like dorky. I love it. And, and true. Yeah. He's also right. You're kind of like, yeah, well, uh, maybe I should be hooking up with this guy. He's got some good head on his shoulders. Honestly, Spader would have been better in this role, but I think he's really good in the role he's in no spader would have been actually the guy who would have been good as alex and then whatever michael's michael j fox or, or um anthony ed no who's An- andrew mccarthy because they kind of anthony edwards would have been good though yeah i mean maybe he's too pure that that's would another Wilshire that, district like, movie guy because that's Miracle what's good Mile. about the james spader part then when he starts becoming like a normal, likable actor, I think would have difficulties with the back half of the movie when yeah. he's like trying to not be scum. Or yeah, something. Spader's sort of perfect for the role he's in. Who's the good Rob Lowe substitute? Um, this doesn't answer it, but it does kind of speak to his name being a substitute. I've been thinking a lot lately how his name. And he, you know, probably lived during the coke-fueled 80s that his name could be Raw Blow. <laughs> Raw Blow just That's loves funny. Raw Blow. He should have, after his scandal, he should have gone all in and changed his name to Raw Blow. There's nothing about the part that actually needs to have him be that good-looking because it's almost more interesting and you've seen people like this in real life who are almost the other side of good looking, but they possess not just a charisma, but a kind of menacing, like uh, spellbinding, like a Willem right. Dafoe or something could have been yes. interesting in that. And that's kind of a, the, in autofocus, that's a little bit of the dynamic yeah. between. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. yeah. Like, but that was what was making me think I, I when you were talking about, um, your friend who's sort of looking in your computer and stuff. It made me think of autofocus because what that dynamic is a little bit, and you were saying, and he was kind of sketchy. And if you met him, you would see him as sketchy. I think there's something interesting. Bad influence doesn't really look at it as kind of more of the expect perspective, but autofocus does this of Willem Dafoe's character knows he doesn't have wholesomeness or he just can't project uh-huh. safety or yeah. security. So he uses, and so he's got yeah. this perfect partner, this right. guy who's like... He's like... Um, a sitcom star, you know? Likeable by association. Yeah. 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 And then, then it's mutually beneficial because, you know, uh, Willem Dafoe's character has all this video equipment yeah. and, and uh, is into salacious things like he is and won't judge him for getting into that stuff. Right. But like the... Um, I guess that's an interesting one because you're seeing it from 
both perspectives a little bit. In bad influence, this isn't necessarily a ding on it, but you don't. It's a little like Pacific Heights, where you kind of go. I guess the person's doing this because they're just a little rascal. <laughs> yeah, you well, know, like with right. Fatal Attraction, it's kind of like I go, "Oh, Glenn Close had a very intimate life, uh, intimate night." Yeah, she's going about it wrong, but it's coming from a place of I'm hurt and feel rejected. I'm just sort of like Rob Lowe, just like he's a sociopath. I guess right. That's why you don't you don't know anything. It's weird that they give you a clue at all in the beginning because you get no further information. Yeah. So it's it's more confusing to learn that he's well, also leaving he, a woman. That up he's, until they had their little tiny talk between the two of them about, I know your accent is fake. You kind of needed that because it also seemed like maybe they were working in cahoots or something. Like, yeah. He's a mark, and they go and they take her to a bar, and he's like, "Talk to that girl." Oh no, I'll talk to her, and we'll bring him back, and now we'll rob this guy or something like that. But no, it was the second time they meet is chance again. So it's not even like Rob Lowe is planting himself in James Spader's Hmm. path, right? He's not even like conning him until it just is convenient. Yeah, but when he takes him to those clubs and stuff that's some choice i mean that's real specific like 1989 clubs i love the whole want ad password thing it's pretty great okay i was like did that really was that done during those times Uh, do you think somebody you're asking the wrong guy i was dreaming about living in pirates of the caribbean man i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but the um like the sexiest thing is like uh, women holding fluorescent light tubes. Yeah, and dancing militant. With them. Yes, there is a scene at the f- first party that's at the dilapidated mansion. Is that the first party? Mm-hmm. It's early on in that scene where it's just kind of a wide angle, and there is like a couple scatterings of couples just kind of noodling or making out. And there's one couple on the lower left screen is like an older man with long white hair, just like absolutely snarfing on this one, just French kissing her in a way that is just when you oh when you my look God. at it, it, just is. I mean, it's like True Detective season two orgy territory of like it turns sexual attraction into something so loathsome that it just like <laughs> when I called action I didn't mean that well it felt like when the director called action that this these the male extras like might as well, might as well get, get paid and eat my cake too um, with the um, with Curtis Hansen and actors though it, just that this is kind of popped up now oh Gutenberg low um, working in the uh, silent partner with um, Elliot Gould and Christopher Plummer I would say that was happening when those actors careers were more on a down slope before they had another upslope whatever you know it was just in the middle of a career Um, it makes me really happy then to see how to your point about the craft getting kind of sharper, the casting, you can tell like he is good at knowing good actors and what can make a good actor. And like, so after this, it is like, Oh, Rebecca DeMornay is at a point in her career. Well, she'll start in 
the nanny is crazy type movie. Um, but she's good in it. Yeah. It's not like he just had to get whatever actor kind of on the downslope right. to cast it. Like she's well cast. And then it's like by that point, okay, because that was like a hit for a genre, he gets to graduate to like um, Meryl Streep and David Strathern, Strathern uh, and Kevin Bacon right. in The River Wild. And you're like, yeah. I'm so proud of this dude. I he's know. like, he, now he's getting to work with like Meryl. And then. LA Confidential, and the reason I was bringing this up was because you got to watch this clip on YouTube of when Kim Basinger um, gets wins Best Supporting Actor for uh, LA Confidential. This was pointed out to me on a blog or a Reddit when people were just like giving evidence of how Alec Baldwin sucks, <laughs> and uh, they you go watch that clip. It's they announce Kim Basinger's name. She's absorbing, oh, I've won an Oscar. She gets up to take it, to go and walk to accept it. Alec Baldwin clearly... Is he presenting? No, he's her husband. He's seated right next to her. Oh, This geez. is the time when they were married. Oh, right? whoa. So think about the the ego of this dude. Right. I mean, all actors have an ego, but this dude has a particular type of ego we're all aware of. Yeah, there's a reason he plays Trump so well. No joke. Yeah, no, I think that that had to be partly of the... um, uh, If you think he plays him well. (laughs) Sorry, let me add that in. Well, it is funny that like... Right. And it is funny that it's like... um, He exists in the... Because I love... Uh, Tina Fey and I love how like Tina Fey calls him like you see him yeah. she usually has like a comment that actually has teeth and yeah. you're like well she's calling out this person it's funny that, that Alec Baldwin is in her over because it's like that dude is the if there wasn't that association he's just like right. joke central you, yeah. there's so much yeah. comedy and how time that time after time weirdo lives his life yeah. and his weirdo wife lives her life like that's just I'm not saying particularly about of course Tina Fey who's amazing like she should be mocking Alec Baldwin I'm just saying more to the point that this guy is just a, a buffet of yeah. jokes the way he lives his yeah. life but um, so in this clip she starts standing up and uh Alec Baldwin clearly wanted to have his moment and imagine what it would be. He grabs onto her arm and like pulls her back down to get her to turn left to face him. And then he does the phoniest like mouth open, like, can you believe it? Kimmy, I'm so happy for you. She's so like the marriage is over by this point. Like you can tell, like she just kind of like pulls away. Like you creature. I have to dial this up. I'm not projecting anything, by the way. Like you see this, it's any human with eyeballs would go now this. I'm not telling this story. I wouldn't tell this story if it didn't have this beautiful ending, Matt. She stands up behind her is Curtis Hanson. She knows this is the collaborator, the yeah. person in my life who supported me and we worked together to get me this Oscar. And Curtis Hansen, who like loves actors and now has finally directed an actor to win an Oscar in his movie. Huh. They like hug each other. It's like a beautiful moment. And you're like, 
yeah, well, that's how it's done. Like, Let's, you gotta put in time. <laughs> Let's go live now. Here we go, here scene. we go. Let's cut ahead here. So it's, I know I'm really risking things here. Alec Baldwin is beloved in the community <laughs> by everyone. Fans, artists. Mini Driver, Joan Cusack, Julianne Moore. Quite a batch of actors here. I thought this was John Voight for a second, but it's... No, it's the old lady from Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> what if she had won and Alec Baldwin had run over to the Titanic lady and grabbed her arm to be like, you did it! <laughs> Here we go. And the Oscar goes to Kim Basinger, LA Confidential. Gets up. Nope. <laughs> okay, bye. Curtis. Look at that hug. It's beautiful between Curtis hands and Hanson. Uh, he's even so look back. genuinely happy for her. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, he that smile on his face is kind of a little Nixonian. Yeah, little, just like the, the smile that matches the eyes. You're my wife who won an Academy Award. Not that I'm at all feeling inferior about this. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and I do you think? Um, uh, and I'm not saying based on talent or roles he would get. Just like, do you think it's capable of Alec Baldwin winning? An award. I don't, From here on out? Winning an Oscar. Now? Like, yeah. I think he would have to go dormant for years and then have a comeback as an elderly man in a like kind of vulnerable role for it to even be considered. But yeah. Rust is moving forward. Isn't that crazy? That No, I'm sitting down right now. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm talking about the film Rust. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think... Uh, it's uh, it, it did it complete filming to go back and I don't not know. To, I, mean, I mean, this is so dark or gruesome, and I'm so I'm not making like light of it. It's more of a interesting thing to check out. You can see the body cam footage of the police when they arrive. So I'm not saying oh, you, you wow. don't see any blood and guts. It's more you see how a crew is responding to a crisis when law arrives. And oh, interesting. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, Matt. I've never had to wear law arrives, but in times where something was a little, uh, somebody could have, dude, nothing happened. Um, the, um, well, talking about the smile, not matching the eyes. It happens in that body cam footage, but also in my experience, um, to acknowledge that an accident happened means something has to change or something. And so it's like the closest to like kind of like a little cult where you see a crew kind of automatic. And I'm not saying this is like wrong. I'm just saying everybody collectively kind of just ignored oh. what happened because it's like, well, let's just not make it a thing or then it becomes a thing. And so it's just, you're uh, like, I just had a couple of times where an, an, an accident or something nearly happens. And it's, um, what was interesting about the body cam footage is that the police are, first of all, capturing kind of what that weird sort of 
behavior is where people just and i'm not saying for shame i'm just saying yeah. it's human behavior you're just yeah. like a little shook up by extreme circumstances but they're like laughing and trying to make jokes it's like this <laughs> and uh just to see how it also gets affected them when cops show up and you really see kind of people whatever that human instinct of like wanting to protect or something like to want to protect the team or you know what I mean? Like, I didn't even know that footage is out there. That's interesting. You see the girl who handed the gun, like, again, I'm not trying to be like sitting in the back of the car, getting interviewed. Um, and this is a true 2020 thing or whatever. When this happened, She's getting interviewed. She's like wiping tears from her eyes. I'm sure she's genuinely upset. The cop looks away, but his his or her face just turns away. So the body cam footage is still on her. And so the cop, she doesn't think the cop's looking at her. She goes and she like, from the back of the cop car, you kind of see her prop up her head to check her face in the rear view mirror of the cop car and kind of uh, do whatever people do. When you look at a mirror, you kind of like, yeah. Look pretty good. Okay. But it's like something you would have never do if a cop was interrogating you. But then when they look away, it's kind of an unconscious, but I mean, it's whatever. I'm just bringing up really weird shit. I'm sorry. Well, it's all, it's on Alec Baldwin, not the the murder necessarily. I'm just saying all the weirdness comes into this. Well, then uh, to very poorly bring it back, the, the element of the like surveillance stuff that's in this movie, like, the ending with the brother holding the camcorder, like in another movie, the we got the confession on tape can feel a little corny, but because it was the brother who it was like a payoff to his, oh, he's not a complete loser, he's doing it. And then also a payoff to the whole idea of like videotaping and camcording, yeah. showing tapes and stuff. Um, it worked for me too. It was a twist I did not see coming and it was just small enough of a twist mm-hmm. that yeah. it wasn't even, was it a twist or just a reveal? Mm-hmm. But it was satisfying for yeah. sure because you, you, I was kind of going like, how are they going to get out of this in a way that's believable as an audience member? You know? I had a weird form of bloodlust when James Spader said, well, should I kill him? I automatically was like, yeah. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Like, there's nothing redeemable about this person outside of their, like, a human being. But, like, this guy is going to probably fuck you up. He and other people, if you don't. Also, you've already dumped an innocent woman's dead body in the La Brea Tar Pits. So yeah. if you if you're right. at, worried you're at a moral depth, killing him is exactly. is not below what you've already done. And know? as long as it's um legally whatever, you could probably make an argument for how 
this guy was threatening me yeah. and eventually I had to like sh- shoot him. I got on yeah. a dock. He was going to kill me. I had to shoot him. Like you could I, eventually, yeah, I think like clear the, you know, the uh, only thing that's not all that believable is just that the minute you see this dead woman in your apartment, regardless of what like Rube Goldbergian version of blackmail that Rob Lowe has on him. I think you go to the cops and you say, because his fingerprints are there. It's the biggest about this movie is like he's there's a videotape of him like on camera being like, hey, watch her. She's going to come in right now thinking it's for you. Yeah. Is he here? Nope, he's not here. And then like turning the camera to show her. I was like, I thought I missed something because I was like, why would he takes it right? He does take it. Yeah. That's what he does when he says, don't try anything funny. He's taking the tape at that point. Yeah. But, but but his fingerprints are all over the murder scene. That's why they're trying to get his fingerprints in the first place. So I think all you'd have to do is go to the cops and go, there's going to be an unknown set of fingerprints. That's your murderer. Yeah. Let's let's find him. The bloody fingerprints are on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. That. So you can think I'm guilty, but I'm telling you right now, I'm here to help you. I'm, I didn't do this. This guy did this. Yes. You've got evidence that says it's me, but like, help me find this guy. Yeah. And, and, and and there are witnesses to this guy. There's, he's been at the, the, his fiance's party. mm -hmm, He's mm -hmm. been at these other parties. He, you can go to that bartender, Tony at the next or party and say like, where's Tony or Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. No. (laughs) Uh, and that he, uh, um, I was going to say that he fuck another reason why it would be easy to oh 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 yeah um at this point of the story he's not even engaged anymore like the one thing maybe the movie like Rob Lowe could kind of have in his yeah. chamber is like well this would ruin your right. marriage and, scene, and show that you had an affair with this woman because why other would you have an association with her? Right. Like, but because yeah, that scene with the, the mansion, I audibly said, "Oh my god!" That jo- dropped my jaw as when he showed up like, in the mansion. Can you imagine the second time I watched this for this? The second time I watched you watched it twice for this? No, no, no. Oh. I yeah, I watched it a few years ago, and okay. then the second time for this. When he showed up at the mansion, I remember. I, or when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is where the shit hits the fan. I like just, re- I didn't remember the specifics. I just knew like <laughs> after this, this movie is like point of no return. Yeah. But I love the little gaps it does. Like you don't see them have sex on camera. It's James Spader wakes up and sees the thing. Yeah. And then they kind of repeat that with the, did he beat up Patterson or not? Which right. I fell for. Like, yeah, I did too. At the Completely. end when it was like, uh, no, you didn't. It also works because it shows how he was a trickster, but it is kind of the thing that we need as an audience to feel okay about James Spader yeah. as a guy. You're like, okay, he didn't. He robbed a couple places, but he didn't like beat somebody while somebody held him down. He just tossed an innocent girl's body into a tar pit. (laughs) That's right. Who is lovely. I also think it's so funny, like Marla with Tyler Durden and Fight Club. It's so funny that a bad influence boy sleeps with a bad influence girl. Like, yeah. Like, 
he's dangerous, but the woman he's with is dangerous too. Cause like, that's not my experience, Matt. No, I know a lot of teachers who date like musicians. <laughs> right. Right. When I was yeah. growing up, if oh, you ever yeah. like a teacher was like single or dating, you'd be like, what's your boyfriend doing? He's like, he's a musician. You're yeah. like, teachers love that. Like yeah. have a little bad boy. I yeah. go and teach him that he likes it. That he's, who's your, who's your, what's your, who are you dating? Oh, she's a teacher. She teaches third graders. Well, God, that must be the most, uh, you must have the lovely, <laughs> loveliest girlfriend in the world. <laughs> who, m- Mrs. Hammerstein, who are you dating? I dated drug kingpin. <laughs> Did I, you know, my mom is a teacher. Yeah. Or was it retired now? But, um, you know, the classic thing people talk about where seeing a teacher out at the grocery store not wearing teacher clothes can be like a... unusual experience jarring experience um being the sibling of one i get to have the experience of being out with my mom at a grocery store and seeing like her run into a suit and Uh, and i'm like they're having the experience of seeing mrs roast at the super it's more jarring to see a teacher with a family member now that's what i was getting to Matt. that's what i was getting to yeah i was like when that happens i get the most amazing ickiest uh-huh. position which is I know when I would go to a supermarket and see a teacher with like a kid who I'd never seen before who was like older I'd be like barf city <laughs> you're like no I can't imagine you having kids let alone older kids who look like that that I've never seen and now they're here ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, I get to see that in the student's uh, eyes when they see me at the grocery they're like ah and do you ever look at him and go, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm that weird on that for older a while. one who went to the other school, too. I'm not, I didn't even go to the school my mom teaches at. I'm that. so weird. I was in bedroom window. <laughs> He's, I fairly love you, Isabel Hubert. <laughs> Paul, uh, Rob Lowe, at one point, is eating one of my favorite foods in the world in this movie that I have kind of like rid my life of except on very special occasions and that is those hostess donut gems donut n-e-t-t-e yes whenever i go like if we ever rent a cabin in the mountains that's about the only time i will just get a bag of those at the like lake arrowhead supermarket when you when you know when you always hit the supermarket first to stock up for the weekend just a bag or a box of donut gems i mean outside of the glass cube wall that might have been the most yuppiest frame in the movie was Rob Lowe in a crisp white shirt yeah. in the sunlight at a white countertop with like a glass of milk with like those oh, like just dipping donut gems yeah but he's not even dipping long enough to, for it to affect the donut gem because that chocolate is so caked on there that you you have to give it a second to permeate those yeah. things I, and I speak from experience so you I've go taken, when you, you when you go camping that's when you allow camping or to a cabin Yes, but I the problem is I will take down a bag of those in a sitting. It's that and there's like a Trader Joe's licorice bite. Those are two things that I have. They're about the only two things in the world that I have no willpower over. What kind of licorice? It's like a strawberry licorice twist. That's about the size of like um, like an almond roca, basically. They come in like a brown bag. Yeah, I've been on a big Twizzlers nibs oh, yeah. train uh, over the last like month. Ruthless. And not strawberry, like cherry. Mm. The smell of, like and taste of cherry candy is mm. tough to beat. Tough to beat. Um, the uh, uh, 
what was the thing? Oh, oh, oh. Um, at the mansion when he arrives there, how he has um, slick back hair. Yeah. And he's wearing a tux. Um, uh, remember we were talking about how, or with after hours, it's fun when somebody's like, has a crazy night and you see their like clothes slowly. Yeah. He had a really good one because he shows up at the thing in the tux with the slick back hair and then he goes to the opposite of a, a stuck up party. He goes to a house that's a halfway falling apart. Yeah. And meets a girl in front of a film projector. But then by the end, he's all like sloppy. His like tux is all yeah. untucked and um, he's wearing a rabbit mask. That sequence, I think, is probably um, my favorite of that movie. That that chunk of like um, he's going off the the rails is, yeah. is really fun to to watch. I mean, it's funny that it's like the movie's called Bad Influence. And it is like the bad influence of a made-for-TV after-school movie where it's like, that night, he makes him smoke weed, he makes him do coke, he makes him uh, uh, rob, rob. Yeah. <laughs> wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, there is a point... Oh, so then they introduced the security guard that Amanda so wisely pointed out was just so briefly introduced so that they could have a place for him to get a gun later. But yes. would you ever lend a gun to someone that comes to you with a split lip? <laughs> you know that the, whatever they need the gun for is... They're is, seeking satisfaction. It's yeah. very, like, present in that moment. It's not just, like, I think there might be a threat. It's, they have something in yeah. on their minds. And based on the level of healing of the lip, yeah. can give you, like, <laughs> I'm going to give you two more days until you come back. And yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, think yeah. about it. Yeah. I also love that there's a point where I think the brother says to him when he's going to go kill them, if you do this, he really has one that feels so Empire Strikes Back of like, Luke, do not go to Bespin. Yes, yes you're right. Well, then the, um, we haven't even brought up uh, David Kep. This is his first Yeah, screenplay. that's right. So a huge first solo screenplay, yeah. First solo screenplay. And uh, uh, I mean, so many movies that people have loved, he has written. Um, I saw him once eating waffles with his son. Didn't want to bother him. Mm. Also, when I went to Killers of the Flower Moon, I was like, oh my God, it's Brad Bird. He <laughs> so, was there? Yeah, it's funny though. I when saw you're like Killers a of the Flowers. Can you believe a man and I got out and you saw did? it? You did? Yeah. Right on. Did you love it? I loved it. I loved it too. Hey, everybody. Quick spoiler warning here. Mild spoilers for Killers of the Flower Moon. We don't spoil any major things that uh, isn't known to history, but <laughs> some character arcs are discussed. So if you don't want to hear it, skip ahead a little bit until you hear us talking about bad influence again. Yeah, just but I haven't stopped thinking about it. One of those movies that after you see, you just, it's fun to think about. And I like reflect on it and I go, I can't wait to see it again. Me too. Because did you read the book? No, oh. but... I was thinking about you when you were talking about the um, who you thought casting would have worked out, and then um, who would have played who. You mean, based on what you had read versus what the casting was in the movie, who you thought DiCaprio would be versus. I, I was like, oh yeah. Well, I recently learned that he was originally going to play the FBI guy, okay. but then they rewrote the script. Yeah, but it is interesting. That's why he's cool. 
he didn't want to just be an FBI guy. He's like, I want to be the guy who has to play like three different things all at once. And I'm still, I still am in the same camp with him, even after this, where I just felt like I was he, thinking about you, buddy, when I was watching it. I was like, I hope Matt likes this DiCaprio. I liked him. He's really good, but he's a good actor. But when he's next to Lily Gladstone or Jesse Plemons, who are just so fucking natural. Really the naturalism stuck. thing is... He's just working hard. I noticed just the difference of naturalism yeah. versus not when Jesse Plemons... Like, you just go, when you see Jesse Plemons, you're like, how does he do that? He's so effortless. How does he do how it? How does he make that? And you're like, if I saw those words on a page and I tried to say them out loud... It would fuck up. Oh, I he's couldn't just, in a million years. And he's like a writer's dream, I imagine, who you're like, so I can write anything and it sounds believable? That's yeah. just like somebody's... He's effortless. Him. Effortless, man, that um, guy. But uh, the thing that I was thinking about with DiCaprio watching it was something happens in all his performances that an experience I have, and it may be your comment on you notice it. Uh, is what was got me thinking about this, buddy. From like Gilbert Grape to um, whatever, what's a middle uh, uh, um, Gangs of uh, New Gangs York? Of New York, catch you if you can. To uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm trying to think of the ones that have kind of um, the character has some sort of affectation or does something. They all do. So when I first see it, it's a really amazing thing that happens as a spectator. Whenever I first see it, I go, that's phony. That's weird. That's weird. That, that, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Like when he first does the stutter in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm like, but then something happens like within like 10 minutes where it, it does become invisible for mm. me. And I go, oh, the reason I was surprised by it in the first 10 minutes is because I was just seeing it for the first time. But I bet if I went back now and watched that first scene, and I do now, I'm like, now I watch that first scene once upon a time in Hollywood and the stutter feels fine. But in the first experiences, I do go, oh, I'm seeing all the things. Yeah. But then I think due to talent, yeah, it, he's it, I get talented. absorbed and I, lo I lose sight of that. Interesting. Yeah, and it's like I, the only actor I think really where that happens. I think I like him best in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's probably the closest to who he is, so I believe it the most. With this one, because he has all the fake teeth and it just feels like he's just working harder than he needs to. I don't know if he's trying to prove it to himself or make himself believe it, but it, I guess it's just never so obvious when he's up against Lily Gladstone, who, what's the opposite of like running circles around someone? It's like, she's just standing still while he tries to run circles around her, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily like, I didn't feel this totally with like Bridges spies, but it was the thing of like, when you would watch the scenes between Tom Hanks and, um, Mark Rylance, yeah. where you're like, yeah. Oh, what does somebody do when the scene is being stolen by somebody's stillness. I know. It's like, what does that other actor, what can you fucking do? You just like get more still than it's just like yeah. boring. Like you really have yeah. to. Yeah. And yet De Niro wasn't doing a still thing, but I really liked him in this quite a bit. Me too. I really. A lot. Um, he was pretty good. Yeah. And like the way the story was told, it was really the only way Martin Scorsese could tell it where it was like, 
that question of somebody's why they're doing it and what for and what's driving them, like getting into the nitty gritty of that was like, oh, no other filmmaker would have prolonged the ambiguity of, or just for the whole movie, kind of be okay with this, like, when is somebody being good? When is somebody being bad? Like that, when I walked out of the movie theater, that was the thing that blew me away. You know I was like, crazy? wow, I saw three and a half hours of a movie where I was really the whole time trying to figure out like where somebody's heart was. You know, what's crazy is the book stalls the reveal of who's doing this long for a while. Interesting. So you come into this, you don't know that De Niro's the ringleader, mm-hmm. but you like right away are like, this yeah. is an unsavory character yeah. in the book for like almost the first half. He, the, the thing he projects to the Osage nation about him being like their benefactor and, and like guardian is kind of the given circumstance mm-hmm. of the book. So you actually are like, I don't know who the villain is yet. Who's doing these murders. It's a little bit more of a whodunit in the book. That's a, yeah. To bring it to bad influence, because there's something where, um, in Killers of the Flower Moon, where... Sorry, I just realized that was a spoiler. No. Uh, I it's think if not, we started right? talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, if somebody yeah. hasn't seen it, they should know. Well, uh, it's not a spoiler, because they do realize De Niro's pretty bad right away in the movie. Okay. I think if you said, yeah. And uh, you look at a poster, see a trailer, I think you'd be like, oh, that guy... Uh, but um, the the way you can kind of like frame how somebody is perceived in a book versus a, a movie the, uh, this isn't quite the same but like also thinking about Chinatown you know in Chinatown there's no scene that Jake Giddies isn't in so it's like a true detective story where you only can get the amount of information he's getting it's not like it's cutting to somebody and going like well the way we'll take care of Gettys is well you know yeah. but I thought that's like what was cool about these little gaps that bad influence was doing like you don't see him have sex. You see him wake up and see the tape yeah, of him yeah. having sex. And then the, uh, whether they beat up the guy or not, it really did in the best kind of like way a thriller can like get you to be perceiving it as a way that, uh, like, well, when also when he was trying to get rid of the body and there's that kind of whole Hitchcock thing of trying to like be quiet about the body while the like quarreling lovers are coming down in the parking structure and stuff. Right. That was all just, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I mean, I, I don't have a ton more to say about this other than I don't think you could really get that much resolution of uh, VHS uh sex without any light but that's yeah. okay well it's funny like <laughs> when they were showing the videotape at the family the anniversary thing and everyone's like oh my god oh my god i was like guys this is the best lit and shot I, sex I tape in the world like robert elswit academy award winner uh <laughs> made the sex tape could be a lot worse the could only other handheld. note i have is that the first literal first credit in the credits, the cast is naked woman. Yep. It's That's like, funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, I did like that. Um, Rob Lowe does in his own way, the character have like a taste for directorial flares, like him being like, um, uh, 
you can come pick your stuff up at the oil mines off La Cienega at sunset. I know. (laughs) You will find yourself on a picturesque hillside at the magic hour projecting oil derricks in silhouette, which will later be used in my finest film as a setting. Beverly Hills Cop 2. I think the the uh, La Brea Tar Pits. It's the most I've seen set in a movie at the tar- like Last uh, Action Hero has yeah. a little bit, but yeah. Um, I used to go there a bunch as a kid. My dad used to take me there, and we were just talking about how we got to take Glenn there because she dig it. That's fun, and it's near LACMA and the Academy yeah. Museum and stuff. Yeah, I have yet nice to go to the Academy out. Museum, um, and it's near the um, place where James Spader worked in Bad Influence. <laughs> Uh, the um, a time that I knew it could, this would be better with a different actor was when Rob Lowe left and went Elvis has left the building oh yeah embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> uh, how dare you defame that phrase in person uh, now I don't know if this is a trope or whatever but we saw a butt and yeah. we saw two butts last time and in after hours we saw a butt but it wasn't a dude butt it was a lady butt yeah but then in the next one we saw two dude butts so we're three dude butts to one lady butt okay if we're keeping track next is shattered that's what we're watching next is it shattered's next I yeah think so so we might see behringer butt Ooh, buttinger <laughs> guten butt bear assinger so oh yeah what would um um shattered uh, uh rob lowe's butt Rob low butt <laughs> butt low <laughs> Rob Rob lower half yeah I don't know uh, the um, the yeah I ne- mentioned the Oh, I also like the new kind of uh, trope is like, I think this is was in the other ones. Oh, and also consenting adults kind of fits in a little bit of this like pent up guy who mm. gets seduced by, but it's almost That's like right, yeah. if bad influence went to the suburbs or if bad influence went to a marriage. Or if bad influence had an actual weird predatory guy play that role. <laughs> well, wait a minute. <laughs> it would later be in LA Confidential. Right, yeah. Um, that's your favorite bit of casting in L.A. Confidential, right? It's pretty good. <laughs> Did you hear he had a heart attack at, like at a film festival? No, is that space? true? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I did not hear that. It's huh? sort of like a setup for a joke. It that does. Was like, yeah. yeah, it was the usual coronary problems <laughs> instead of the usual suspects. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be a usual suspects kind of thing, too, because of the... I didn't put together right away when they saw the want ads that like that was the code to the password. I just thought it was like, is he seeing things as his like alter ego that mm-hmm. he's using back on himself or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like did that. feel like, oh, this is Fight Club and Usual Suspects. This is like the 90s zeitgeist writ large on screen in 1990. So it's it's 10 year precursor to, yeah. you know, 1999. There are office lead characters in office cubicle scenes <laughs> in 
American Beauty, The Matrix, Fight Club, and Office Space. And so I'm not picking no name movies. Right. Those are huge, like four big movies of yeah. that year. This movie is like the same thing. It's like a guy in a dead end job. Yeah. And then I think because it is all people who want are on the cusp of something and are busting their asses to make like Robert Elswith, this is a jump up for him. Curtis Hansen, yeah. James Spader, uh, this isn't David Kemp's 12th movie. He doesn't care about the rewrites. He cares the most about the like. So yeah. I do feel like a, a passion in this. Oh, the other Fight Club thing uh, that I noticed too was at the end when he's running around with the gun and stuff. Uh, it looks like at the end when Edward Norton's like running around and it's kind of like sloppy. He, they're both wearing like long robe kind right. of things and stuff yeah. uh, and all s- sweaty. Um, the... Uh, I really liked, I thought it was super funny, the um, last, like, the callback when James Spader got the drop on Rob Lowe, uh, like, you make your, you make a funny face when you come, or you face, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I guess presumably he did watch Rob Lowe have sex with those women before he came and attacked him, and then it's a reference to, obviously, what Rob Lowe said to him, um, but... I did think that's like a key line in how it is pretty charged for dudes to be talking to each other about like, I saw your face when you come. Like in 1992. Yeah. I like, I don't, to your point about it, this is the time period. I was thinking this movie wouldn't do this probably because of the era. But if it was made now, well, probably wouldn't be because then it would seem um, uh, insensitive, uh, you know, understandably. But like, by the end of this, I kind of wanted like, when Rob Lowe's on the deck or whatever, when he's most like vulnerable... He like tries to kiss like James Spader or something. I there's something you wanted, yeah, because it's so. I wanted James Spader to kind of like there. recoil, not in a way of like this guy's fucking with my life. It's like, oh, that's what this is. He's like into me, and uh, a lot of this is like sexual energy coming my way. Like, yeah. and now it's finally like. Because we'll Laid get that there in, in, when he kisses like James Spader at the end, or and something. single white yeah. female goes there. Yes, yeah, and I I bet the politics of the time were such that even though it was very easy for films to vilify gay people and make that seem like their perversion of some kind that is sinister, mm. but I bet every studio executive saying like we can't have Rob Lowe be gay in a movie because. Yeah, it will undercut everything that people will come to see him for. In fact, in Brantley's notes, mm-hmm. I forget who was it. Was a studio head that said something to the effect of like, "They'll forgive you this if it was a gay scandal. Your career would be done." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's very telling. Yeah. So, yeah, but you get this all the way back to Strangers on a Train, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, that that there's a it's yeah a, an affair kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, uh, all the way back to Shakespeare and. And I think like Strangers on a Train is a lot more 
I don't know if comfortable is the word, but at least like not afraid to go there with it more than this movie is even, which is Mm -hmm. funny because Mm -hmm. I feel like there's such a capitalist side to this movie that Hitchcock probably didn't have to hew to as much, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. 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 The strangers in a train thing is it's an actual crime that the two of them, two crimes they're cooking up. This is just talented. Mr. Ripley's another one. Speaking of Highsmith. Yeah. That's a, that's what I I knew there was one at the tip of my tongue. Well, when I said, Oh, I would have liked to have seen, and that's 1999. If I, uh, if I would have liked to have seen Rob Lowe kiss James Spade or as like, I was like, that happened in Talented Mr. Ripley? Does Matt Damon kiss Jude Law? I mean, uh, I it, think he... at least in the movie, uh, maybe he doesn't kiss him, but I don't think it's like subtext in the movie. No. Like, it's, it's And it's a sort of, sort of weird twist on that. And like Jude Law's the cool one, but Matt Damon's the sinister one. Mm-hmm. I love Talented uh, Mr. Ripley too. so much. I do too. Yeah. I really love that movie. And there's all these other Ripley movies out there. Do you know, like there's yeah. one with John Malkovich and there, I think there's a TV movie. I've always wanted to watch and there's no way there is anywhere near as good. Yeah. Yeah. I Cause it just looks read the beautiful. Books. I mean, it's oh. just like, it's nice because it has all the trappings of an Oscar bait movie, like a period Oscar bait movie, but it's a thriller. It's such a good thriller. It's, all the actors are so good. Yeah. It's, Oh, that's somebody, perfect casting. I talked to somebody who was I talking to where we were like, Talented Mr. Ripley might not only be the best cast movie, but the best cast for everybody. Everybody's at their best in their careers in that yeah. movie. Like you couldn't get a more beautiful Dickie than Jude Law. Is that yes. the character name? No, yeah, 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 exactly. He's, He's perfect. so gorgeous. Yeah. And you could see why you'd be absolutely enchanted if he shined what does she say yeah. when he shines his light on you it feels good and when he does it it's yeah. cold you're like I could get that with Jude Law and then Matt Damon you know in the same way that I was saying like DiCaprio always plays like a, a guy who's becomes entrapped and tortured like that's the arc of his characters Matt Damon uh, I think maybe in only two cases he's played a role where he's not a liar. Like, is it, we bought a zoo. Yeah. I think we bought a zoo. Is probably like only, safe to assume. Yeah. Did they buy Maybe they didn't buy a zoo, <laughs> but if anything, a lot of the plots will figure on that. This guy lies. Yeah. The informant, Jason Bourne, the oceans movies, yeah. uh, goodwill hunting. It, it is a deception. And I do, it talented Mr. Ripley, obviously, I think it is like his face is so wholesome you can do that. Yeah. And it's interesting. Or he just plays liars really good too. But like, it's different than, yeah, if Willem Dafoe played a liar. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, that nice little Matt Damon boy's a right. liar. Yeah. Um, I will say the it's funny, the, um, talking about Matt Damon and, and uh, references to lies and stuff. So when I used to work at um, this place that made the bonus features on DVDs. I would watch the behind the scenes raw footage and write down what happened in them and transcribed interviews. So then somebody could read those and edit it. And so, but it was cool because I got to see footage of movies being made. It was a really fun job. And, um, uh, I saw oceans 13, um, being made and the camera would roll when just the Ocean's 13 guys are just talking between takes oh, and stuff. So really? it was cool. I get to hear stuff. Uh, 
I saw a very interesting moment between Al Pacino and uh, Dave, Super Dave. Bob Einstein? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, God bless him, Bob Einstein seems nervous. Oh. It's so cute because he's always the person who seems like yeah. makes other people on yeah. their heels. Uh, but um, the Matt Damon tells a story about Pat Riley, the sports guy. The who coach had, like, of the Lakers. No, 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 no. The guy who, thank you for correcting me, because it's the guy who, he's a sportscaster. He's got blonde hair. And he, John Madden? No, he uh, left those sexy voicemails on that. Marv group. Albert? No, another pervy sports guy. <laughs> Shit. Uh, he was also the host of like Extra when Extra first hit. Billy Bush? No. No. Uh, we got to find him because um, does anybody I, I want to make know? sure his... I get the right liar. Um, uh, anybody on the streaming channel? Anybody want, uh, got this on the tip of their... Uh, Here we go. We, Let me see. Well, they think it's Billy Bush. Um, and, oh, my God. Okay. I'm going to just do the most basic type of Google search, which is like uh, an anchorman dirty <laughs> voicemail. I'm so curious what you're going to get. Dirty. I know. What if it's like uh, Will Ferrell in character is anchorman saying dirty things? I hope. I don't know who this could be. Walter Cronkite. I want to see between your legs. <laughs> of course, just Anchorman quotes came up. What the fuck was I thinking? This is the worst, most boring part of a cotton podcast in the world. Well, we've gone, we've gone, we've done worse. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's all right. You don't have to know who it is. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, well, the point of the thing is, we'll figure out who that guy is because people will figure it out. Um, he was a sports announcer, hosted an entertainment show. Eventually had to retire because he was like leaving these messages on this woman's thing where he was like, I just want to get crazy. I want to do <gasps> oh, coke. Oh, now I know who you're talking yeah. about. We did him on Super Ego. And his, I can, I can find He does out this major tell. He keeps saying over and over in the messages, I never do this. I never ever do this, but maybe we could get coke and go crazy. I never do this. It's like. You don't have to make the lady feel special. <laughs> this is pretty transparent when you're... Uh, uh, What's that guy's name? He's blonde, and he, but he had like a darker mustache. Yeah, and, and you know why I'm saying Pat Riley. Is it Pat O'Reilly, something like that? Oh, something O'Reilly? Yeah, it might be. Guys? Mort Krim, <laughs> you're not helping at all, live screamers. Uh <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to the case study file of and Super you know Ego. right now for the people who are listening who know they are screaming his name uh, right now. Pat O'Brien. What's that? Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien. This guy right here. So Pat O'Reilly was. Yeah. So you're gonna love this now that you have that face because what a fucking liar's face he's got. Yeah. He what really a liar. Uh, Matt Damon was telling a story about how. Pat O'Brien was talking about how he went to dinner with some people um, 
uh, to some other sports anchors. He was like, me and this athlete, we went out for dinner before game six, and we had a dinner, and it was just a great time getting to talk to him, catch up. He's a funny guy, you know that. And then the anchors were like, Pat, we had dinner with that athlete last night. Um, He's just a liar. And then Pat, this is what Matt Damon said, Pat O'Brien said, he's like, fellas, you caught me in a lie. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not the first. Join the line. It's not a select few. (laughs) Take a number. Oh my God. That's somebody's ripcord to get in on a moment like that. You caught me in a lie. Oh God. One of I used to have a, a wayward friend that would pull stuff like that, like speaking along the lines. Uh-huh. Of, yes. And he would get caught in the worst lines. And each time he'd go, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to come clean. I did uh, do that. But he would only admit like Trump. What? Oh, no, Trump doesn't admit. But, you know, like he would admit what you caught him. And it turns out there was like eight levels deeper. And then you'd reveal another layer of the onion and go, yeah. you know what? I'm going to come clean. Like mm. I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. But he would never go clean. The lie of a mission is a dirty, yes. dirty territory. And I'm just realizing the weirdest thing too, is that the two similar relationships I had of these kind of like mm-hmm. sort of weird, like pseudo alpha guys mm-hmm. that glommed on to me. Mm-hmm. You know what their names were? Hmm. Both of them. What? Matt. Whoa, your own, like you're wrestling with your own. Am inner... I fight clubbing myself? <laughs> and it's, it's Did like, they not exist? A non creative fight club where you give your alter ego just your own name. <laughs> I also have this friend named Paul Rusty who I do podcasts with. <laughs> They're just watching a stream of me talking you to talking blank. To oh my God. Uh, well, I think that's all of. Uh... Yeah, that's all for me. Do you want to do a best thrill? We'll read some Xenos and then rate this baby. Yeah, that's good. For me, the best thrill, honestly, was the reveal of the sex tape at the mansion. That was amazing. Yeah. That, uh, and then the reaction to it in the car afterwards where he wasn't mad about it. Yeah. All good. Like, I like that little kind of psychological territory. That was, that was the good stuff of this movie. I agree. Okay. We've got five xenomorphs to read. May I have Paul read this line from Matt Navy? And the line is... I just say this in my normal voice. I think it's the, this voice that you normally do. Oh, this oh, oh, yes. Bath gravy. No. Uh, Peanut is the most nefarious <laughs> Bat Garvey is the most nefarious member of Pinhead's court. <laughs> That's <laughs> Thank my you. favorite. Um, Jameson Margaritis, you get a shout out. Hey, all right, Jason. Um, uh, Jameson. This is a very nice... Um, my wife and I are from Asheville, North Carolina, and we're taking a trip to California next August 2024, and it's my first time going to California would you guys recommend, what would you recommend? As a movie buff. Oh, I, you know, for me, it's the Halloween locations in South Pass. They're all together. It's yep. perfect. You get a Pee Wee Herman, you get a Mama's Family. There's yep. a little something for everyone there. There's a, a death um, tour, Graveline kind of tour thing Whoa. of uh, crime spots and murder spots that I've taken my um, sister and niece to before. And it's a good time. And speaking of shout outs, the one who wrote this was Nathan Tolley. Uh, you might want to check out some of the great criminal courthouses in cinema history. Go down to <laughs> City Hall or the City Court there in Los Angeles. 
Um, Do you kind of have a vanity of small differences thing with Atticus Finch and you, Southern lawyer? A little bit. Oh, excuse me. Don't answer for me. Who do you think you are, Mr. Gourley? Uh, Emily Billado just gives a straight out shout out. Oh, and then Jennifer Penny is a shout out to her sweet kitty cat who has passed away, but looks like lived a long 17 year old life. Yeah. Very sad. Uh, But what a sweetheart. There's a picture there. This is her cat, Squee. Sorry for your loss, Jenny Penny. Pets are the best. I I say, hey, whose hand did we shake to get pets? Can we shake it again? Because they're the best. I want more of it. And then to get pets that can be taught to shake hands. That's true. We've taught our dog to shake hands. We taught our dog to lay and um, speak. We can't teach Margo anything. Uh, it's funny. My dog does like true, like, um, you remember like America's Funniest Home Videos, like, <laughs> stuff like that. Like Chewbacca oh, sounds we really? can get from her. It'll be like, you know, do you want to, uh, Ricky, you want to go for a walk? Walk, walk. <laughs> Baby Ruth. <laughs> yeah. I can do a pretty good Wookiee, though. Let's hear it. <laughs> It is good, but I worry about your health. I you look, look like, like you're in pain. Reagan from the Exorcist, <laughs> like possessed by a Wookie. <laughs> um, okay, we gave after hours. We each gave it a twelve. I gave bedroom window a six point five. You gave it a seven point five. Where do you fall on nineteen nineties bad influence? You know, Matt, there was something you said when you and Amanda were watching that you were like, "There was a point where the movie really started cooking." And I was like, I, I had, I have the, both times I watched the movie, I'm kind of like slow burn, slow, ooh, now it's taped off and it's like really fun. Um, and I would venture, I bet most people who watch this movie probably had that like experience. And that, I think, is a very special experience. It's valuable. Because that's it's, usually when the movie starts to lose you, mm, it'll fall mm, apart. Mm, yeah. Especially in a thriller or a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a special thing about it. I'm going to say 10. 10. You know what? You've made me, you've talked me up from a nine to a 9.5. Hey, all right. So that's a pretty healthy score for 1990s bad influence. Yeah. Now a movie I've never gotten to see. Always wanted it since I was 10 years old and Shattered came out and I was like, Shattered looks so cool. That same year I saw Deceived, the Goldie Hawn movie where she gets deceived. Yeah. But I didn't see Shattered. Whatever we're in for, I don't think it's as many glass bricks, but hopefully uh, we're in for something good. 1991's Shattered. Tom Berenger, I think, is it Joanna Whaley is in this as well? Yeah, and then uh, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins, who, right. I just saw him in Nixon. Oh, uh, does he, he plays J. Edgar Hoover in oh, interesting. the most bananas uh, scenes uh, Oliver Stone has maybe ever made. And that's saying a lot. Wow. Well... We'll see you next week, everybody. Yeah, see you next week. This is a real good time. Uh, and hey, guys, try in your life to be a good influence. influence. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Rust. 
Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candy Mans. Candy.